Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jack Flaherty to figure some things out. A lot of velocity drops in his last start. That opened some eyes. Jack said, I'm working with different velocities in different situations. Let's see what he has in store tonight in game one. There's a swing and a miss. Perfect pitch. Breaking ball. Got it. Pulled a string. Beauty. And he blew him away. That's eight in a row and six strikeouts for Flaherty. And that one is cut on and missed. Anderson is strikeout victim number 10. Season high, 10 strikeouts for Jack Flaherty. Jack was an ace in game one tonight. We need him. I mean, we, we need him to be a dude and uh, not to put pressure on him, but we just need him to be himself. You know, We don't need him to do anything more than just be himself, and uh, today was awesome. How about that? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was vintage Jack. And the words of Tanner Hendrickson, by the way, that audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest, Jack's look, Jack looked yesterday as if he was actually back. He got his first double-digit strikeout performance since September of 2020. He, was, uh, he hadn't gone more than seven innings since May of 2021. It's been a minute. Since we've seen Jack pitch like he did yesterday alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, what did you see from Jack and how important is it for the Cardinals to get more performances like that out of their number one potential starter? Uh, Jack was back, right, T-Bone? Yeah, Jack was. was back again. Uh, I saw confidence like that first inning disaster was about to take place when he walked uh, to Les and the bases were loaded with one out. I'm thinking here's a grand slam and this ballpark is about to just chaos ensue. Uh, got the the double play that ended that game. And then from there, it just felt like Jack was as locked in as you can ask for. He was hitting his spots. The pitches were moving well on him. He, for some reason, he and Wilson Contreras were just like in the same mind space as they were knocking down everything. They, they were locked in and Jack Flaherty looked like the ace. So that is exactly what they need, especially when you don't have swing and miss stuff. It's been the biggest bugaboo this season for the Cardinals. And then on top of it, he gives you seven innings, which that is something that they've desperately needed. Everything about it is is what this Cardinals team was asking for from Jack Flaherty. And maybe it took uh, days of our lives Cardinals edition for two weeks to get to this point. I'm still hesitant, though, to get to the Jacks backstage. T-Bone, I'll get to you here in just a second. I thought that first inning that you mentioned was important because it felt almost like a metaphor for the entire Cardinals season. 
He got behind early, and he got behind in a significant way. He was not finding the strike zone. It looked like more of the same for him. It's like a 50% strike rate in that first inning. Four batters in, you've got the bases loaded. And then he gets out of the inning with just 21 pitches. None of those runs ended up scoring. 11 balls in the first 20 pitches, and then 51 of the next 70 were in for a strike. He finished seven shutout innings with 17 swings and misses, Every pitch that he threw at least 10 times got at least one whiff in that game. You look at the swinging strike rate for his curveball, for his slider. It was outstanding in that one. Seven whiffs on 13 swings for his curve. Four whiffs on nine swings for his slider. Jack looked fantastic yesterday. That's the best we've seen him since he was locked in in 2021 prior to getting hurt. That was his best individual start. Nothing about that was fluky. The velocity was there. His fastball was up almost a full mile per hour compared to what it had been the rest of this season. His curveball was great. Slider was great. He even used his change up a little bit. Got a couple of uh, good swings on that one. I, I was as impressed with Jack Flaherty yesterday as I have been in a long, long time. There was no... Yeah, buts with this performance, like not for him, not for the opponent, not for. Yeah, but look at the velo- nothing. Nope. He had great command. He went deep into the game. The pitch count was all right. He was able to get deep. Like everything about that performance was super impressive. Basically, after that first inning, I'm with you, though, Alex. I am still just cautiously optimistic because we've been here with Jack before. Not to that degree of what we saw yesterday, but we have felt like it's it's on the verge of taking off. For Jack Flaherty. And then you come crumbling yep. down once again in the next start. So I need to see like four or five of these consecutively before I'm fully willing to jump back on board. But I know T-Bone's ready to do exactly yeah, that. As uh, I think it's Lil Wayne said, I'm a sucker for pain. So yeah, Jack Flaherty's back, damn it. He looked great last Ryder, night. Did Lil Wayne really say that? Yeah, T- yeah, yeah. Ryder doesn't even believe T-Bone who knows it. who it, that is. The song is. Sucker for Pain. There's like six rappers in it, but somebody said it. But uh, I There is z- no no chance you've heard that song. Yes, no there chance. Is. I'm calling right. you out for this. You just no. lied to the listeners. I did not. <laughs> you... I did not. It's uh, from Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. It's, Lil Wayne. It's from a superhero movie. It's from of a course. superhero movie. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lil Wayne <laughs> didn't <laughs> sing it. Lil Wayne is in that song. He might have said what I just um, said. But uh, <laughs> Ty Dolla Sign said it. Yeah, maybe it was him. I'm very familiar with his work. Either way, I'm a sucker Again, for pain, and I'm buying back right now. in. I am buying back into Jack Flaherty. Again. Because <laughs> I never lied to the he, he looked great last night. The fastball command was there, and I, I've said it throughout his struggles this year. When he gets command of the fastball, which I thought at some point would come back because a pitcher that, that good as Jack Flaherty doesn't just lose command of their fastball. And I thought he would find it again. He found it last night. He's hitting 95. He's spotting up the fastball, and it sets up everything else, the changeup, the curveball, the slider, generating all this swing and miss that we're talking about. And, and the best part for me is bouncing back from that first inning because after that first inning, I was like, oh, here we go again. It's going to be one of those where it's going to be a battle to get through. He's bringing through an 88-mile-an-hour fastball, yep. and we're going to have to hear the awkward post-game conversation about doesn't want to talk about his velo and it's Contreras' fall. But now that Contreras is prepping better, we saw last night that Jack Flaherty can be the number one guy that the Cardinals have been looking for this season. I understand being uh, kind of hesitant to buy back into what you saw from Jack Flaherty, 
that was the start for me that said, you know what? It's still there for him, and I, I think he's going to get back. I think he's going to be that guy for the St. Louis Cardinals. They've got their number one ace in the organization. His name is Jack Bleepin' Flair. Okay, right. relax. Calm down, R- Slim relax. Shady. Calm let's, down, Slim Shady. Let's chill. They, they, I am absolutely not willing to I go as far. He, pitch, he pitched well against the Colorado Rockies. Didn't give him seven innings. Didn't have ten strikeouts, but only gave up one run and five hits. T-Bone also believed he was back his next game, six innings, four earned runs, uh, three walks and only four strikeouts. Pitched well against Seattle with nine strikeouts and then went four and two thirds against the Dodgers and then followed that up with the Angels and then, of course, called out Wilson Contreras. So, yeah, I'm no way, shape or form saying Jack is bleeping back. No. No. Just one good start. Give me two more before I say he's Jack is too back. inconsistent. His yes. ERA on the season is a five three. Like a no, we're not we're not doing this. No, not we're yet. doing it. We're if doing you it. if you want to talk after the next month about Jack being a guy that can be a front end starter again, sure, I'm willing to have that conversation. We are absolutely not doing that today. Today, I'm willing to talk about a start yesterday in which Jack Flaherty was fantastic. And that's all I'm willing to do. I'm not willing to talk big picture about him. I'm not willing to talk about what this means for him being resigned. Nothing about any of that stuff. Long term, we'll figure that out as we go. But for right now, if we're just talking about the importance of what we saw yesterday, for the Cardinals to be the team that they want to be, for the Cardinals to be the last team standing in the National League, whatever you want to talk about in terms of the, the big picture, they need that version of Jack. So whether that's real or not, they need it to be. They need that guy to be able to uh, show up three out of every four starts. You don't need it every time. There's going to be off nights, but you need that guy when you get to July and beyond. You need that version of Jack Flaherty because you don't have anybody else that has what we saw last night. There is no other starter in the Cardinals rotation that's capable of doing that. None. The He's te- the only guy. The text line asks a really great question for Tanner, and I feel like we're putting that, you know, where you're sitting in the cop interrogation room and they're shining the light on you. Uh, Tanner. Jack Flaherty has two of the highest statistics going into that game last night in Major League Baseball among starting pitchers. Pitches one good game and he's back. Lars Newpar has been one of the best hitters in the game. Thank you. All season long, yeah, but I've never and we're seen, not buying I've never in. seen Lars Newtbar perform consistently like that over a three-year period. Oh, you mean like a dominant second-half performance? <laughs> yeah, that's what you need three to months. Say, hey, Brandon, did you hear me? Maybe I didn't speak English hey, there. You're I just said a over a three-year period. You're a sucker for pain, as T-Pain says. Yeah. It, it wasn't or a full three-year period, not sure. to be very clear. Uh, it, it was, was not. It was one that. year, then not a year, then one year, then not a year, no, no. then one start. Yeah, he had a good first half of 2021, a really good second half of 2021. 2019 and was really solid in 2018 as well. So like equals three years, half of two individual two seasons and then one full year, <laughs> two years is, and one start. We're Either approaching way. that amount Either of time way, for Lars more Newt than Lars Newbar. Yeah. Well, you also have some priors that you're holding on to. There's some misplaced anger that's happening. There's that's some coming misplaced to the front anger of the in this there's, room. There's I a lot love of stuff it. going on. Speaking of misplaced anger, how about the Cardinals? Uh, that's basically <laughs> what the first month of the season was. Misplaced anger at Wilson Contreras. Yeah. Guys, I know this is going to sound bat bleep crazy, but I think the Wilson Contreras drama might have ended up being a good thing for the team. Like, it sounds strange, but you remember TLR used to do some of this stuff where they would turn the team against him. He would say, hey, I would rather them all coming together against one villain as opposed to coming and get, uh, coming apart at the seams against one another. Ah, in this scenario, Wilson Contreras, their teammate is the villain. No, he has actually become a rallying cry for the team. Did you guys see the hug, the embrace between he and Jack Flaherty yesterday? Yeah, it looked 
looked kind of awkward. Yeah, it looked staged. Okay, stop it. Agreed. That was pretty cool. Pretty cool, in my opinion. So, when you look at what they have right now, it feels like they are coming together in a meaningful way. Yesterday, the Cardinals handed the Brewers their first loss of at least 17 runs since 1998. That was the Cardinals' first win by at least that many runs since 1977. And it all came together. You want me to do the, the voice? Oh, 77, not 1907. It sorry. all came together in the day that Wilson Contreras got back behind the plate. I'm not saying the two things are correlated, but it sure felt like the two things might have been a little cooler. Right, I smell Brewers blowout <laughs> you're, tonight. You're the positive one. Can I take the other side of this one? Sure. Because it was very frustrating for me last night watching all of that, acting as if the nine days that took place was something that came out of nowhere and they had to deal with it as a team and then acting like, oh, man, we dealt with it and we love you, Wilson. You did a phenomenal job and you started this. I just like this whole thing didn't even have to be a thing but we had to make it a thing because we had to prove that we weren't the real problems even Wilson Contreras said it after the game when a pitcher's locating in spots like that and the ball's moving as well as it did for Jack I look forward to calling pitches for him any day of the week yeah because you have no decision on that you're not the reason that he struggled in the past it was because he wasn't hitting his spots and now we're all gonna sit there and act like Wilson Contreras was the rallying point for this team to start winning I'm sorry but if they have to create drama to run a streak like this boy you better start creating a lot of drama this better be like days of our lives mixed with bold and the beautiful from september until the end of october uh sure i don't know what that means but i'll go with it um you don't know at, soap operas n- no not so much not, is not some, super is like familiar we're gonna come back like that would happen in a soap opera no, that's that's a good soap opera i oh. i think the reason why i bring this up is because you think back to some of the recent World Series teams, they all had a moment, a, a moment where things clicked for them or a, a period of adversity where things went awry and they were able to find themselves within that moment. The Atlanta Braves, Ronald Acuna goes down. Everybody thinks that their season's shot. Their general manager goes in trades for basically an entirely new outfield and they come together as a team as a result of that. Last year, the Phillies, now they didn't end up winning the World Series, but they all come together as their manager ends up getting fired and they go on this crazy run down the stretch and they go end up in the World Series. The Nationals, they start out really poorly and then they all come together as a team as well. I'm not telling you that is for sure what's going to happen with the Cardinals. They still currently have the worst record in the National League. But when you look around the National League and you look at the way that things have gone this year, we talked about this before the show. Cardinals are one of two teams in the entire league that have gone at least seven and three in their last 10 games. This league stinks. The Cardinals are like four and a half games out of the wild card right now. They're six and a half out of the division right now, despite the fact that, again, they have the worst record in the league. So they're still very much alive. The way that they have performed in their last, what is it, seven games now, they look like a team that can once again contend. And what we saw last night, I thought, looked like a team that has come together and has rallied around their catcher. Yes, their catcher, not designated hitter. It's pretty cool. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I'd hug you on camera. Talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues insider for The Athletic. But next, I'm buying back in, obviously. Too soon. What do you need to see? 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Hold on. He just said too soon for buying back in. I He's know. on Jack Flair. Okay. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app as well. 
The Cardinals have two more games against the first place Milwaukee Brewers, and then they play four games at home against the L.A. Dodgers, who are also in first place in their division. I did not see that one coming. (laughs) What do you need to see in these next six games in order for you to buy back in to the St. Louis Cardinals? We'll give you our answers here for some of you coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. At this point, you just got to get greedy one game at a time, and we're looking to take all of them. We, we put our own backs against the wall. It's our job to get out of it now. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was Ollie Marble yesterday, audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest, on getting the big win against a division rival. He's right. They have dug themselves quite the hole. You're 17-25. and 25. You have the worst record in the National League. Now, that being said... The National League has not pulled away in any meaningful way right now, really at all. The Milwaukee Brewers are six and a half up on you, and they lead the division. If you look at the wild card standings right now, the Cardinals are last in that race. However, they're only three and a half games back of the Marlins and the Phillies, who are currently holding that third spot in the wild card. Guys, they're one game below 500, those two teams are. So the entire league has not performed up to expectations. I just saw this tweet. This is on uh, the New York Mets, one of the what we thought would be contenders in the NL. The Mets just finished a 13-game stretch against the Tigers, Rockies, Reds, and Nationals. 13-game stretch against those four teams. They went 4-9. The Mets have been abysmal. Their hitting has gone nowhere. Jeff Albert should be fired from them just as he should have been last year for the Cardinals. Well, it just depends on how loud the outside noise starts to be. Sure. I look at the Cardinals, and I look at this seven-game stretch, six games that remain. As long as they go, like, four and two, three and three, and are respectable in this stretch, I'm pretty much in. But it wasn't going to take much for me to get back in because barring, like, basically a two-day stretch, I've pretty much been in on the Cardinals all year. And I... Got out over my skis for a couple of days Don't when worry. things we'll, went awry. We'll go find that audio those two say, days and we'll he, put it together. He really left the bus when uh, <laughs> when they got destroyed by the Angels. We'll make those two days sound like the six months of baseball season. It was, it was a it was a weak moment for me. We, we've all had them. <laughs> no, never. Alex, for you, in this remaining six games, the seven-game stretch against the Brewers and Dodgers in total, what do you need to see to, to really buy back in? Because you certainly are more pessimistic on the team than I am. At minimum, four and two. You, you can't go any three and three. I'm still going to be skeptical because you have to win series right now. Like this is not about being respectable and looking good. And maybe you lost and split the series with the Dodgers. No, you have to start winning series because they're how it happens. Or is it just get the results? Get the like results. If they win three to one, 17 to two. Doesn't matter. To get you. the results. Cool. Yeah, because if you're not winning series, obviously, if they get destroyed by the L.A. Dodgers 17 to one, then it's going to make it a lot more difficult for me to get back on board. But if we're going result purposes here, you have to win series and you have to basically win like every series for you to put yourself back in this conversation. Now, I know the NL Central is awful and you'll put yourself back at the top even if you don't do that. But we're talking about avoiding that wild card spot and avoiding the issues that you've gone through over the past few seasons. So, yeah, also on top that you've got Milwaukee, who's a contender and the Dodgers, who are a contender, win those series. And I'm going to look at this team a lot more respectably than I did in the first month of the season. Yeah, for me, it, it's four and two in the next six. That way you finish with a winning record on the homestand. And to me, it does matter how it happens. I 
I, the pitching has to be better for the St. Louis Cardinals. It, it needs to be where they're not winning games, you know, 8-6, eight, 8-7, six, eight, six. It, It's got to be, hey, the offense does its job and the pitching can keep things kind of calmed down, like three runs, four runs, something like that, because it's going to be unsustainable for this team to constantly win games 7-5. to five. They're going to have to find a way to stop some of the offenses they're going against. And I know Milwaukee's offense is bad, and as we saw that last night, it feels like this pitching staff is the kind that like a team would look at and go, okay, that's the pitching staff that we can kind of get our offense righted. And that's why I want to see the pitching be good. It doesn't have to be great, but it has to be good. And if it is, then and the Cardinals go 4-2 and two in the next six, then I'll, I'll buy back in because then I can say, you know what, I can start to see the rotation is performing better, the bullpen's been good for the Cardinals, and offensively we know the lineup would be deep. And if that's the case, then, then they're going to start to pick up these series constantly along the road and be able to get back and potentially get into first place by the time we get halfway through June. You want to know why I'm so skeptical still, BK, and we've compared this season a lot to the Blues season this past year, specifically for how bad that first month was and talking about the struggles that they had. You the remember, Blues never did this. They never went on a winning streak after a losing streak. That never happened. They Don't did, tell me about the season. They did, though. And you remember that winning streak that they went on where everyone was like, gosh, should we start buying back in? And then like the inside voice like of you, Jack Flaherty. the internal voice said, well, they just beat the Washington Capitals and beat the Arizona Coyotes and beat like they beat the bad teams. And you're like, do I really want to buy back in even after that? And then when they played the good teams, they got smacked around. That's that's why I'm still skeptical with this. So you win this Milwaukee Brewer series. Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic because that's a team that you struggled with early on in the season. But when you play the Dodgers, then I'm going to be watching that team very closely and saying, OK, let's see what you look like against the big dogs. This is basically the equivalent of the Blues going on that two game stretch where they beat Saturday and Monday, Vegas and Colorado in early November, where I was like, OK, they just went through that eight game losing streak. And now, OK, we're coming back out. You you go up to start out the season. That was the best game that they played all year against Edmonton. Then you go down with the eight game losing streak mm-hmm. and then you're coming back up the roller coaster with that stretch where they ended up winning. I think it was like seven straight against San Jose and then Vegas, Colorado, and then a bunch of bad teams. Yeah, that's where we're at right now with the Cardinals. Is that portion of the schedule if it does end up being the same as the blues and that's kind of the point of this text or three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line uh we asked for some of your texts on what you would need to see to buy back in the three one four says nothing in just these next six games will convince me that the cardinals are back however if they continue to win series not sweep just win for the next eight or so series then i will believe that they are here to stay I don't need that much because it's not going to take that much to get back into things in the National League. Right. If you're able to, like you win one of the next two against the Milwaukee Brewers, that's not ideal, but it would put you at the end of this series, what is it, six and a half back of the Brewers? That's that's not too bad, all things considered, given where we're at in the timeline of the season. Then if you win three out of four against the L.A. Dodgers, I mean, you're putting yourself in a situation where you ended up going four and two in these next six games you're sitting at 21 and 27 it's obviously not ideal but given the way that the schedule then sets up for the cardinals with games against the reds and cleveland kc uh cincinnati again down the stretch like you're starting to open things up a little bit and you feel like you're getting back on track so for me that would probably end up being enough uh somebody else on the text line says i will not buy back in until the cardinals make some trades so you're not buying back in I don't think that's necess- like necessary for me to buy back in. I do understand, though, why you would feel that way. If you are out on this current group of players, 
I get why it would take a, a trade for you to buy back in. I just don't necessarily see one coming in the immediate future, unless it's to get rid of one of the outfielders that's currently. And a part even of the that's mix. not going to make people happy because you're not bringing in something that's going to be competing in your rotation, which I would imagine that texter is looking for something that's going to compete in your rotation. You're not bringing that in until the trade. Deadline. And I mean, as a realist, Cardinals don't do that at the trade deadline. It's going to be somebody who's going to compete for a four or five spot, probably take Steven Matz's role in the rotation right. more than it's going to be somebody who's going to be fighting with Jack Flaherty or Montgomery as the ace. By the way, uh, if you are optimistic about what's to come in this series against the Brewers, one thing that they really do have going for them is that this bullpen is now completely rested given what we saw last night from Jack Flaherty. He was able to go seven. James Nail was able to finish things out because they got so many runs at the back end of that game uh, to the point where they just didn't really care who was throwing at the back end and say, hey, Nail, go get him again. Helsley has one outing in his last five days. That was on Friday. Same thing is true for Gio, Drew Verhagen, Jordan Hicks, and Chris Stratton. All of your five best relievers coming out of your pin right now have had one appearance in the last five days they're they're in a really good spot to be able to take these next two games against the Milwaukee Brewers if this offense stays hot the way that it has so far. Coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for The Athletic. want to ask him what kind of moves he's anticipating in the NHL this offseason, and if it were up to him, who would he add for the middle six center? We'll talk to JR about that next year on 101 ESPN. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Always happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend and the Blues insider for The Athletic. He's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, how you doing today, man? I'm doing real well, guys. Uh, I got to tell you, though, with those 18 runs yesterday by the Cardinals, I walked into the uh, on-the-run gas station by my house, and I said, 18 runs, can I get like a sandwich, <laughs> chips, and a soda? <laughs> Did they respond with, uh, though, because we didn't realize the Cardinals scored 18 <laughs> runs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was the first person to make that joke this morning by the look of their faces. That's, and uh, that's and like they every... said, this is... Go ahead, JR. Oh, go ahead. No, just they said that, uh, you know, if you're going tonight, I don't know that you expect many runs if they used them up all last night. Yeah, that's true. I was T-Bone also made that joke earlier, yeah, too. So, yeah. Sorry, second second runner up on that one. But I, I do make the joke uh, when I go to Taco on. Bell, JR, after the Blues score five goals, and I say, can I get free tacos? And they look at me like, dude, that hasn't happened since like the early 2000s. <laughs> they don't think it's very funny, though. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's why you always saw me cheering for Blues goals up in the press box. Try to place to stop by on the way home. It's either White Castle or Taco Bell, JR, and that's we right. know which one's better. Um, JR, I'm going to ask you a very simple question that I don't think has quite as easy of an answer, personally. Uh, the Dallas Stars are going to be headed to the Western Conference Final. Now, obviously, that's not great news for the Blues because it means their draft pick is going to be 29th or later. However, are, are the Stars good? Like, relative to other Western Conference Final teams that we've seen in recent years, how would you rate this current Dallas Stars team? Yeah, I don't think they're dominating. I think that they get the job done, and they've looked really good at times, uh, not great at, at others. Uh, but I think they've got the type of players that you need with the, the Bens, the Sagans, the Robertsons, you know, an emerging star. He is a star now. And then the Pavelskis, like people wrote him off a couple of years ago. You know, you went into this uh, postseason wondering about the goaltending. Jake Ottinger, a great goalie, but just a young guy, and how would he respond? And I think just like I said about the Stars a second ago, really great at times and, and not great at others. He's kind of been that way this postseason. You know, he's the type of guy that can get on a run and back you up. So, you know, I think they're a team that's going to go into the series. I picked them. I picked them to win in seven games in the athletic uh, poll that we just published. Uh, but I could easily see Vegas win in the series. Jared, Jamie Rivers brought this guy up on his show, and we had a texter talk about him yesterday, too. And since we're talking Dallas Stars, I do find it interesting. Is Max Domi somebody that would be intriguing to you to sign in the offseason as a blue next year? I think he could be, yeah. He asked me about this a couple of days ago. I don't know if you guys heard the interview, but uh, he used uh, he and this guy, and he used all these vague pronouns, and then at the very end he says Max Domi, and so you got to come up with an answer uh, with, within a couple of seconds. But I like the idea. I just don't know, you know, what is Doug Armstrong thinking? That's the biggest thing. Like if he thinks, are we going to go out and spend some money and make this team competitive, you know, perhaps that's a guy who could come in and be another piece like the pieces that the Blues brought in last year with Rana and Kapanen. Uh, but is he going to say to himself, you know, let's take advantage of this situation we have with the draft equity and perhaps some trade pieces. And, you know, we're not going to go all in and, you know, sign a guy like a Max Domi. And I'm not saying he's all in like he's a superstar, but I'm saying like you're going to spend some decent money on him. And, and Doug might not be thinking that way. He might be thinking, you know, let's take that step back. Let's capitalize on what we've built here uh, with the assets and the situation that we're in. So I think that's what kind of determines it. What's he going to be able to do at the draft? What are people telling him that they'll give him for these draft picks if he trades one of these late first rounders? I think that's what I would specifically like to know before you can say, yeah, go out and get a Max Domi. Well, now you just led me into my next topic because BK and I are officially on the Ross Colton train. And now Hell that yeah. you know that the Blues have the 25th overall pick, that's the Toronto Maple Leafs one. And then in the Dallas one is going to be either somewhere between 29 and 32. Does Ross Colton from the Tampa Bay Lightning make sense to you? Well, let me tell you this. For anybody who listens between 11 and 2 to 101 ESPN, I think we all know that you're on the Ross Colton bandwagon. Damn <laughs> straight, the, uh, JR. <laughs> JR, we tried, we, we tried out new ideas yeah. yesterday. We went down a matchmaking game, and i got to be honest. Tanner I, left single. It was love at first sight, and we, <laughs> we didn't need the other options. Yeah. Hey, I like it. I like it. You know, sometimes I get caught up in the day-to-day. -day. I'm writing a story. We're doing this, uh, you know, poll, so on and so forth. And, you know, I truly, honestly don't spend enough time looking at other rosters, seeing who would be a match. So you guys enlighten me when you come up with these names. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, they make sense. How about uh, Martin Furk, right? Uh, uh, hey, hey, right member of the Ferrari <laughs> hey, five. Do you remember Pavel Buchnevich? Can I, can yeah. I throw yeah, that one yeah, back in your face, Nevich. JR? Yeah. 
Oh, no, no, no. I think <laughs> he, actually, he came here. I, he him. actually came here. Yeah, and then he went over to Europe because the Blues didn't want him to play on their second power play. That's fine. Yeah, so so I, I like the I like the uh, the, the the Ross idea, Col- uh, Ross Colton. I, I think that uh, that's a situation where he's played with a good team. He's contributed to that team. You know, he could be that type of guy. Let's go back to that conversation we had a second ago. You know, I think Max Domi's going to command you know some decent dollars with the way he's played in Chicago, even, and then now with uh, Dallas, and especially if they go to the Cup here. Um, so you know, not necessarily similar players. Uh, but I think those are the types of guys uh, like a Russ Colton who could come in and uh, and help the Blues through these two years and, and be a guy who keeps them competitive without breaking the bank. All right. Uh, let me tell you about a guy, JR. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, oh, matchmaker for, JR. for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at JP Rutherford. Uh, this guy, I'll tell you his name at the very end, so that way you've got about two <laughs> seconds to be able to come up with yeah. your answer on it. No. He, uh, William Nylander. He, William Nylander is 27 years old, JR. He's got one year remaining on his contract at roughly $7 million. He's going to get a massive payday after that. All of the listeners in our audience, I'm sure, are familiar with him. But if they're not, he's a guy that is uh, one of the core four members of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I would have to imagine they're going to make some sizable changes to that roster this offseason. If for no other reason than they've got real cap uh, concerns, a cap crunch that's hitting their way. Is, is there any scenario where a guy like Nylander or even if one of the other core four members of that team became available, do you think that the Blues would A, have interest and B, explore the possibility of trying to acquire one of those members? Yeah, first of all, thanks for giving me about 20 seconds there to think of the guy. <laughs> think of my answer first. Uh, okay, so so let's break this down a couple of ways. First of all, anybody in their right mind has to be interested in any of those guys. Uh, you have to explore. You know, Doug Armstrong can't just drive down the road and think to himself, hey, if Toronto calls about one of those guys, I'm going to hang up. You can't do that. you got to explore. Uh, but, you know, obviously a couple of those guys are big-ticket guys already. Right. And a guy like a guy like Nylander with uh, one year left, he's a, he's a great player. Like, Toronto fans love him. Uh, the media writes a lot of positive things about him in terms of what he brings on a more consistent basis, sometimes even bigger than the, more consistent than what those other guys uh, bring to the table, talking about Tavares and, and Matthews. So I think Nylander would be great. The only thing is – that ticket's going to jump sky high after next year. And, you know, are the Blues in a position where they're going to pay another guy 9 or $10 million? I don't think that that's the case, you know. And I think what, what situation are they in? You know, can they move any of the defensemen? Can they move money? Can they put themselves in a situation where they can uh, absorb that big ticket uh, not next year, but the following year. So I think you have to be interested, but the teams that are going to be interested in a Nylander, the, t- the teams that can afford that eight, nine, ten million moving forward with him, you know, I, I think that uh, they're going to be in line and willing to give up a lot to get him. And can the Blues be one of those teams? I just don't see it personally. Start the trend, JR. Explore the core four. <laughs> <laughs> It would probably require including Jordan Cairo in that deal, right? Like if I'm Toronto, that's, that's the starting point, isn't it? Yeah. So the money can offset if there's a deal like that, where you're, where you're trading a guy like that. So, you know, I get that, but it, and I'm not advocating for that, by the way, I, I would actually, we're going to talk about this a little bit later today, just to clear this up. I, I would actually say I probably wouldn't make that deal. And I know that might sound weird to people, but Kyra's 25, he's a little bit younger and he's cost controlled at eight Carlson or excuse me, Carlson, uh, Nylander might end up taking, I mean, nine or 10. Right. 
Right. And, and, you know, if you're the Blues, you like the younger guy, uh, Kairou, perhaps, you know, with where the Blues are at kind of in their retool and and building towards the future. Uh, You know, personally, I think if you're talking about which player would you like, you know, Blues might like Nylander better, you know, in terms of overall game consistency, stuff like that. But I think you're right. I think it'd be a tough deal to make. But, yeah, so you can move the money around and you can make it work with Nylander. But I guess I just keep going back to, you know, where are the Blues at? Are they right there where they think they can win? And, man, you bring Nylander in and they're going to go three rounds or maybe even a, win a cup, well, then maybe you make that move. But if you think you're still kind of building and growing and putting some pieces around uh, Kyra and Thomas, then I think you stand pat. Ross Colton it is. JR, appreciate the time Boom. as always, man. Thanks for hopping on with us today. We'll be reading your work over at The Athletic and following you on Twitter at J.P. Rutherford. Thanks, boys. You got it. Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate his time, as always, here on the show. Uh, um, We're going to get into this, like you mentioned, in the 1 o'clock hour, but you and I are on the same page with Kairou versus Nylander, but there is somebody on Toronto's team that I would trade, and it's not Austin Matthews, Kairou for. I'm Marner. Yeah. 26 years old, under contract for $11 bucks the next two years. Selkie candidate, guy who performs in the postseason, and somebody who brings a little bit of a different element than what Kairou does. Now, I don't think Toronto's going to trade Mitch Marner, but... I mean, the, the thing is, like, we say that about all of them, you know, because I, I don't think that they should trade William Nealon. Well, and here's how this works. First things first, they have to sign Austin Matthews because he has a no movement clause that kicks in July 1st. And if he's not under contract, you're going into the off season or the start of the season with him being a pending UFA, potentially yep. losing him for nothing. You can't move John Tavares because he's got a no movement clause and he made it very clear he doesn't want to be moved. Marner's got a no movement clause that kicks in on July 1st. Nylander's got a no trade clause that kicks in on July 1st. You're going to have to move one of those two players. Yeah, I, it, they have very difficult decisions. It's They are, in my opinion, the most interesting team this offseason because yeah. a superstar, not overstating that, a superstar will be moved this offseason from the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't think that they can go into 2023 with the core four anymore. No. I, and that's... Well, and they might lose Kyle Dubas, too, who's made it clear he might not be back as general manager. And if that happens, somebody's going to change the whole dynamic of They're that team. They're going to put their stamp on that team. Yep. And so that's where you come to, okay, what are we going to do? Because as you mentioned, John Tavares, he, he's not going anywhere. So it becomes a Matthews, Marner, or Nylander. And if you're a new general manager, especially coming into that mix, you are not trading Austin Matthews. No. You cannot start your tenure by being the guy that traded one of the most mm-hmm. productive players, one of the faces of the NHL, much less the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so you got to go with one of the secondary guys in Marner or in Nylander, neither of which is a good situation to be in, but those are probably your two only options. And Austin Matthews is going to be looking at a price higher than Nathan McKinnon's because McKinnon just is going to get paid 12.6. And Austin Matthews has had three straight years of 40 plus goals. I bet she gets 13 million. I almost would guarantee it. And if that's the sense, you have to move either $11 million or potentially $8 million. Nylander's one conversation. I do want to have the conversation though with you coming up in the one o'clock hour about Marner. He's he is really interesting. It is a massive price tag, a tag, eleven million dollars per year, two years left on that contract. So, I don't think it's something that the Blues will do. But if you had an offer of Kyrou plus for Mitch Marner, I, I do wonder what the appetite would be for, on that for the Blues. We'll talk about that coming up later on today. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions in sports, we'll answer them. Coming up next, you're on one on one ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's 
BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Alex, we got this from the 314. If the Toronto Maple Leafs offered you Mitch Marner for Colton Pareko, Jordan Cairo, and a first-round pick, how do you feel about that? I, I'd say that's too expensive if I'm Doug Armstrong. And I know I'm the ultimate Colton Pareko defender, but bringing in Marner, offsetting Kairou, your team is better. But bringing in Marner and getting rid of Pareko and Kairou makes your team worse because then unless you do some type of change to your defense on top of that, you go into next year with Krug, Letty, Perunovic, Tucker, Falk, Scandella as your six. I mean, you thought your defense was bad this year. What do you think is going to be that? So I, that's too expensive for me. Now, if you're telling me that on the offset of that, I bring in another defenseman, then we can have that conversation. I think that's what you would have to have is like, I think there's a secondary portion to this conversation that's not present in that trade. Mm-hmm. Are you trading for a second pair defenseman? Because you need that guy. Are you getting a left-handed defenseman that upgrades from that side as well? You kind of need that. Mm -hmm. There's just so much that needs to be done on the blue line. Now, that being said, I think a lot of this would probably be about 2024 as much as it is 2023. If you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes, like my assumption would be the plan would be to re-sign Mitch Marner after next season. So if you're going to do that, you could potentially re-sign him next offseason and then maybe you add to your defensive core next year. And that's the way that you make it better. So maybe you take a step back next year to take a big step forward the year after. Well, and here's the thing, too, with it. I know people are looking at it and saying, well, cost control, you're going to lose Marner as the unrestricted free agent. I'm looking at, and this is what JR just said, I'm looking at it as, do I believe my team can compete for a Stanley Cup next year and the year after, the two years that I've got Mitch Marner under contract, and then continue the success? Or do I feel like next year is still a growing year, and two years from now is when I'm going to compete? Because if that's what you believe, then neither of these guys are the Toronto Maple Leafs' radar. Because you need something like a Ross Colton, who's 23, and you've got him for four years, to get you to two years from now. Somebody else says uh, Toronto could not take that salary back. That's another complication with such a trade is that it would be probably too much money for them to put on their books because they're trying to get rid of salary, not add it. This would add about two million bucks to their books. So uh, there there are obviously complicating factors on both sides of that trade. I don't think such a deal could or would get done, but just thinking kind of hypothetically speaking, what would it look like for the Blues to make such a move? Well, on Um, top of it too, you're not getting... Toronto couldn't make that work with Pareko and Cairo. Right, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay, Taking sorry. back that kind of yeah. money would be really hard for them. The Blues could make it work, but yeah. I don't think Toronto could. Another person asks, guys, how does Pavel Buchnevich play into the Blues offseason plans? He is somebody that could be an attractive uh, trade option for somebody else. He's got two years left on his deal. Don't the Blues already have to be considering what his extension will look like? They're already considering it. They can't talk to him, though, until... After the twenty, after the twenty, yeah. So I mean, look, you're not trading Pavel Buchnevich. The only way you're trading Pavel Buchnevich would be next off season if he tells you he's not re-signing in St. Louis. But I mean, Pavel Buchnevich, 
5.8 million right now. He'll be 30 at the end of that contract. I mean, if I'm going to read the tea leaves of how Doug Armstrong works, Pavel Buchnevich might not be getting re-signed by St. Louis. I think he will. I think he's one of the guys that you're building around. 30 years old. You think he's going to give him a multi-year contract? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you'll you'll sign it for him. You probably do which, what you did with um, like a Braden Shin, where you're going to get him on a long-term extension that flattens out the number. I, I think that's kind of the way that they'll view him because Pavel Buchnevich is in every zone, offensive, defensive, distributor. Like he, he does yeah. everything for you. Uh, I, I don't think that's a guy you move. I'm, would, I'm with you. You can't move him, but I think he's going to be their highest paid player in 2025. That's the part that I'm not so sure Doug Armstrong would be on board with paying a 30 year old and long term contract. That's over seven or eight million dollars. I mean, look, th- this is the highest contract that he's given out to Kyrou and Thomas, and they're 23 and 25 years old. He's also better than any player that they passed on. I don't know if the Blues would believe that. I think the Blues would look at it as Thomas and Kyrou have more and of an upside. Also injury prone and getting older mm-hmm. would be a concern. Uh, I don't know that he's injury prone. This year he had an infection. Like I can't say that that's a reason. Yeah, last year I think what did he play last year? Did he play seventy plus games last year? Yeah, he's he's a guy that's played a, a decent amount for the Blues since he's come here. Um, who do you think they've passed on that's been better? He played seventy three games in. 20. What do you mean, like guys? Because like guys they let walk that were better you in theory of like. They typically allow players to walk when they get into their 30s. That is something that has been in. I mean, Petrangelo would be the only one I could think of. That's it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Bacchus, I mean, look, I love David Bacchus. Uh, We've expressed that on the show, but David Bacchus, you could kind of see the end in that one. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko, I mean, they didn't really pass. They they traded him. But there were real concerns with injuries David Perron, I, I, I think they'll admit that was a mistake. David Perron, as much as I love David Perron, did also have the injury risks with him. And he's he's not the same player, player as yeah. Pavel Buchnevich. We love him, but Pavel Buchnevich is just a higher level player. Yeah, at this point I just career. when they signed Braden Shen, he was 28 years old, I think. So they knew that it was going to take him to 36. And if I'm Pavel Buchnevich and I'm 30 and I have two productive years, I'm looking at probably a six, seven year contract. And that's Agreed. where Doug Armstrong's probably like, yep, probably not going to take that one on. Yeah. Somebody says he's not better than Petro. That's probably the closest comparison. And yeah. I think then it'll come down to does Pavel Buchnevich demand a no, no move plus. Yep. If he does, I think it's more about the no move than it is the money. Because at, at that point, well, when the he's caps getting going paid, up the cap's going up. Yeah. And I think that was part of the complication yeah. with the Alex Petrangelo situation as well, as it was in the middle of the COVID stuff where... It also depends on who you acquire this offseason. If you do go get a Mitch Marner or a William Nylander, yeah. then, then the Blues are basically saying... You're saying he's a part of our core, along with Kairou, if Kairou's not traded, or Thomas, and you're you're picking that player over Pavel Buchnevich and hoping the growth of Snuggerud and Bolduke and Dean and uh, whoever you draft at number 10 is in that new core. All right, final thing here, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. T-Bone, this one is for you. Guys, if the Cardinals wanted to go out and get a starting pitcher, I think that the team that they should be targeting is the Chicago White Sox. They have a bunch of guys who have high upside, whether it's Kopech, Cease, or Giolito. Would you be interested in one of the White Sox starters? I have right now, I'm waning on my interest of Dylan Cease. He has been getting absolutely shelled so far this season. Um, so he's the guy that I would definitely have like real concerns about. Same thing is true for Kopech. For me, it comes down to Giolito, and it it would really be a cost thing there. What are they asking for? Because he's going to be a free agent. Isn't yeah. he injury prone too? He has been, yeah. Yeah, I... 
I kind of agree that the White Sox are probably the team because I'm fascinated to know what they do. I, I think they should blow it up, but I don't know if they will with an older uh, older owner. And I, they're, they're pitching, like, when right, ceases legitimately a, one of the top arms in baseball, Giolito. He's shown signs of that as well. I'm not as interested in Kopech. Kopech's the guy that I don't have as much interest in, but I would have interest in Giolito. Bring him here to the Cardinal staff. He's like a perfect, like, game three, game four starter for you when you bring him in. Uh, Cease, it just depends. Do you truly believe you can? I, if he's performing bad, he's not going to be on the block because he's got so much more years of control. He starts pitching well would be when it would be kind of consideration, but the asking price is going to be insane. The The other arm that I would throw in there in the AL Central would be Eduardo Rodriguez. I he, think that's the guy. He's more of a rental, though, because I think he'll opt out at the end of his deal, but he would be the guy that makes a ton of sense for the Cardinals. Yeah, him, him and Giolito are the two that I think, if you're going to the AL Central, they're the ones that make the most sense for the Cardinals. Coming up next, guys, are the Cardinals about to produce their first homegrown superstar since Matt Carpenter? I'm not talking about Jordan Walker right now. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hey now, Nolan, you're an all-star. Nolan Gorman makes the all-star team, wow. hits hits 30 home runs and has an OPS over 800. Guys, Nolan Gorman looks different in spring training. I don't think he's handing him back the DH job to anybody. Line in the left field, a base hit for Gorman the other way. Love it. Swing, drive, hammered toward the right field corner. That's down. That'll bounce off the fence. Two-run score. And Goldie will be stopped at third. It's an RBI double for Nolan Gorman. Swing, fly ball. Deep right field. Gorman has a three-run homer. Unreal. Nolan Gorman is locked in. The single in the first, walked in the fifth. The two-run double in the sixth. And now adds the three-run bomb on a Varland hanging slider. Just all over everything. Nolan Gorman. A superstar in the making alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. That voice you heard at the end there is courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. The voice you heard at the beginning saying that Nolan Gorman would not be giving up his DH job. That was Tanner Hendrickson. Oh, it was incorrect. 
And unfortunately, he did give up the DH job for about a two-week stretch to Wilson Contreras, who is now back behind the plate, of course, because things are going well. For now, until he needs more prep work, and then they'll shift him out of it again. Guys, I looked this up earlier today because I was thinking to myself, man, Nolan Gorman just feels like he's tearing the cover off of the baseball right now. He's got to be up there on the leaderboards of, like, best hitters in Major League Baseball. He, He is. He's currently leading the league in slugging percentage among qualified hitters. He leads all of baseball in RBI so far this year. Uh, he is, he's got a cool OPS of 979. You could even take this a step further. The entire list of qualified hitters in the National League that have been better when you adjust for ballparks, adjust for league average, etc. this year. So OPS plus the Nolan Gorman includes one player. It's Ronald Acuna Jr. who, if the season ended today, would probably be the National League MVP, in my opinion. Next on that list in the National League is Nolan Gorman. In the month of May, he has more walks than strikeouts, and that was supposed to be the problem with Nolan Gorman. He's hitting the ball as hard as he ever has. He has adjusted to the big leagues in a way that I wasn't sure that he was going to be capable of doing, Alex. He's getting on base 38% of the time. He's not supposed to be a guy that has a high batting average, high on base percentage. He's supposed to be the slug baby slug. (laughs) And now we're seeing a player that is developing at a rapid rate. He is on pace for more than 35 home runs this season. I mentioned this yesterday. The only player at his age to do that in a Cardinals uniform is Albert Pujols in the history of the franchise. Alex, are we watching the Cardinals actually develop a legitimate superstar caliber player for the first time since, I mean, you could argue either Yadier Molina or Matt Carpenter, depending on how you judge Matt Carpenter. Yeah, I mean, they are. And I I thought this was going to be the toughest year for Nolan Gorman when you had a rookie season where he performed better than people give him credit for. Uh, but it did end with a little bit of a slump. And I thought that that was going to play with him a little bit coming into this season. He had those growing pains that go into being a major league player. And maybe those are still to come. But what we have seen in the first two months of the season shows and frankly goes against what some people say that the Cardinals can't develop superstar talent because Nolan Gorman is that the plate recognition, the pitch recognition, what he has his just whole aura about him, even in a pinch hit spot, it's getting to the point where you kind of do what Albert Pujols did last year, where he stepped to the plate. You stopped what you were doing because you were wondering what was going to happen. Nolan Gorman's got that right now. I mean, the Boston Red Sox, when he pinch hit, you stopped everything because you were waiting to see, was this going to be a bomb? So Nolan Gorman has developed that and it's still only his second full season as a major league player. So the fact that you're getting this from him right now, yeah, it's making me believe that you are, you are developing a superstar, which has been a big problem for at least the last 10, 15 years for the Cardinals. Yeah. I I think they have developed their first kind of superstar in a while since I, I think Matt Carpenter's fair to say, uh, because he put together a really good career here in St. Louis, except for okay. the back end. But uh, I, I think they have, and they developed him from the left side, too. I mean, he's just got such pure raw power, and I, I think that's what's going to help him because we had this conversation in the office. I, I think Carpenter was always a star. I don't know if he was a superstar. Kind of got buried behind, like, Matt Holiday, Yadier Molina when he looked at the St. Louis Cardinals from afar. I think Gorman's got the chance to throw his name right into the hat with Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Wilson Contreras because he's got so much power. I mean, he's he's on pace to hit what it was 38 home runs yesterday. It may have even gone up after his home run uh, yesterday. So 
I, I, I think that they've got themselves a superstar. I, I think he's going to end up hitting for a little bit of average as well. I mean, he's hitting 280 right now on the year. I think he'll probably sit around 270 to 280, I think, is where he's going to end up being because he just blisters the baseball. And without the shift, I think it really helps him. And the slugging's for real. Like, this is the best pure power hitter on this team. And, and you saw spurts of that last year. He just wasn't able to put together consistently. He was chasing the high fastball. That adjustment he made in the offseason, he is just destroying fastballs this year. He's hitting, I think it's three, yeah, 333 on fastballs this year, and he's seen 314 of them. He's almost basically seen about half of what he saw last year in fastballs, and last year on fastballs he hit 194. So he's made the adjustment to the Major League fastball. He's destroying breaking balls as well. I, I think he's got the chance to be a superstar. I, I think there are going to be slumps, but I, I think the – the periods where he is hot, kind of like what Nolan Arenado does. When Arenado is hot, he's hot for a long period of time, and he has just small slumps. I think that's going to be Gorman. So, guys, we talked a lot about what the comparison is for Nolan Gorman uh, coming into this season. And the name that kept coming up from people was Dan Ukla because he's a second baseman that was a little bigger, was really uh, known for his power much more so than what he was doing defensively. But Dan Ugla in his career was a 240 hitter uh, that ended up, I mean, first of all, his career was very short because he didn't get to the big leagues until he was 26 years old. But he was hitting like 25 to 35 home runs per year in the mid-2000s. And he he was never a guy that was like, well above league average the way that Nolan Gorman is so far this season. He was like 10 to 15, maybe sometimes 20% of uh, above league average offensively. Is Nolan Gorman already better than Dan Uglo was? Are we, are we willing to say, like, if I offered you right now the opportunity to lock it in the next six years of um, Nolan Gorman's career were basically the first six years of Dan Uglo's career in which he, on average hit about 33 home runs per year, but slash 258, 343, 42, which was 16% above league average. Would you no longer take that? You'd press your luck and say, I think that Nolan Gorman can be better. I would press my luck. Um, Cause I think a lot of the, the end numbers for Dan Ugla is because he really struggled towards the end of his career. I mean, he was red hot with Florida and then when it went on to Atlanta, it was good and then started to struggle. And then he just became solely a, a guy who was hitting for power. Nolan Gorman is showcasing the ability to do more than that this season. Um, so yeah, I would I would hit the I would press my luck with this and Nolan Gorman and hope he turns out better than that. I would press my luck too. I, I think he can hit for a little bit more average than that two fifty eight that you said, and I think that would drive the on base up just a little bit more. And I think he's got more power than four eighty two. I, I think he's got five hundred potential slugging percentage. I, I think that is. Nolan Gorman. I don't know if he could ever be a part of the 300, 400, 500 club in terms of average on base and I slugging. Agree. I'm not sure that he's got that batting average in him. But I, I think he can slug higher than five, 500% or 500. So I, I, I would say I would press my luck, and, and I I think he can be even better than 16% above league average. I mean, he's a guy that could be 30 to 40% above league average, I think, when he gets to his prime. Plus, I, believe- I think Gorman's a better defender. Yeah, I think he's solid defensively. I think he's Kyle Schwarber. Like I, I think that's the comparison. Schwarber that, plays the outfield, man. I, I understand. Oh, okay. I, I think that eventually Nor- Nolan Gorman might too. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> back to this again. I I think that eventually what we're going to see from Nolan Gorman is similar to, to Kyle Schwarber where I'm not sure that he's ever going to hit for the average that we're watching right now. I, I don't know how much that part of it is real. I think he is probably more of like a 250 hitter for his career. It's kind of been what Kyle Schwarber's been. Maybe he's a little lower than what you're seeing out of Gorman. I think you give up a little bit in the on-base percentage with Gorman, but get a little bit more in the the batting average so it evens out over time. But 
Schwarber's a guy that hits, on average, 35 to 40 home runs per year. Like, that's kind of what you expect out of him. And right now, I think that's kind of what I'm starting to expect out of Nolan Gorman. That's hard because you're going to go through slumps. Right now, though, he's on pace for 39 this season. And he's on base for 127 RBIs. He is a run producer for the St. Louis Cardinals, the likes of which, man, it's, you haven't seen them produce in a long time. Like outside of, I mean, really Albert Pools, and he's not Pools. I'm not comparing him to Albert. I want to make that very clear. But I'm just saying, like, when was the last time we saw them produce a player that was capable of this? You do kind of have to go back to Albert. They haven't really pr- produced runs this way with guys that they have had internally come through their system. It's remarkable what they've been able to do with Nolan Gorman. And really, I'm going to give the credit to him because he made serious adjustments. He looked at times completely overwhelmed by major league pitchers and he made the necessary adjustments. And it's why I don't think anybody should give up on Jordan Walker, because what we saw last year was very similar from Nolan Gorman to what we saw early this season, not in terms of the ground ball rate, but just looking overwhelmed at the play by big league pitching. Walker will adjust. I think he's going to be a star in the majors. I don't know what that ceiling looks like for him, as we're seeing right now for Nolan Gorman, but give it some time. Be be patient with with Walker the way that you were with Gorman, and eventually this thing can pay off for him. And and I will say that was the biggest reason I was so high on Gorman in the offseason was it wasn't necessarily, you know, just thinking he's going to make changes. We saw them last year because remember when he came up, if I remember correctly, he started off fairly well, and then he went through a cold spell. And I remember what happened was then he, he got hot again, and he said, I got rid of, I think it was the leg kick, and moved to a toe mm-hmm. tap. Like, right there. There was the first adjustment, and he made that on the fly up at the major league level and then went on a hot spell. And then he did get cold. It took him a while. He never really figured what what went wrong in that slump. And then when they said, hey, he's getting beat by fastballs up in the zone. I Seeing him make the adjustment in season last year made me believe going into the offseason, yeah, if he can do it at the major league level in the middle of the season, he's got an offseason, he's going to make the proper adjustment. So I, I, I had a really good feeling that Gorman was going to be one of those guys that can constantly be making adjustments with Major League Baseball and get himself to the level he needs to be at to be where we're talking about being better than Dan Ugla. I do want to bring up one other thing on this. We'll get to it on the other side as we talk about the Cardinals' offense in the bigger picture. Somebody from the 618 says, to consider Gorman a superstar, don't you think he also needs to start hitting well against left-handed pitchers? I personally do not. I'll explain why that is, and we'll get to the bigger picture since on this Cardinals offense, which has been performing at a remarkably high level in the month of May. We'll get to all of that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So we were just talking about Nolan Gorman and whether or not he is going to become the first real superstar that the Cardinals were able to develop internally. And Alex, one of the pushbacks that we get is, well, doesn't he need to be able to hit against lefties in order to be that guy? I'm a little confused as to why this has become such a thing here in St. Louis. Like I, I do understand it to a degree, I suppose if you're arguing against me, Suppose what the argument is, is he needs to be an everyday player. If you're going to be this, though, the, the way that you would prefer it is as a lefty that hits righties really well. Because then you're playing 70% of the time. Because about 20 to 30% of the major league starters on any given season are going to be left-handed. Which means that 70% of the time, maybe 80%, depending on which season it is, are you're going to be starting as a left-handed hitter that hits right-handed uh, pitchers very well. 
So when I when I think about it that way, like if I have a guy that's playing 70% of my games as a starter, and then in those other, say, 30% of the games, he's coming in in a high leverage spot to potentially crush a righty reliever, that guy has some real value, man. And I'm not super worried about the fact that he's not going up against left-handed pitching super often. Like I, I think a lot of teams, now that you look at Kyle Schwarber nowadays, like I, I'm not sure he's a guy that sees significant time against lefties or should see significant time against lefties over his career. He's a 200 batting average against them and he doesn't slug all that well either. He's a 370 slugging percentage guy. So do you want that in your lineup every day? I guess you can, you can have it in your lineup every day against lefties, but you probably have better options. And that's where I fall with the Cardinals. If you're the Cardinals and you're looking at your lineup right now, for, for example, today, you're going up against a left-handed starter uh, against the uh, against the Milwaukee Brewers. Do you guys think that they should be putting Nolan Gorman in the lineup? No. Like, how, how do you do that? How do you configure your lineup against a lefty if you want to include Nolan Gorman? In there? I, I don't think it makes sense for them. No, I mean, it definitely doesn't, especially when you look at the numbers. But I do see the point from the texter of saying, like, when I think superstar, I think... I mean, you think faces of teams, like you think Shohei Otani, you think Ronald Acuna Jr., you think Bryce Harper, like you think of these guys who don't have those splits, who are just there every single game, Aaron Judge, where you're always out there. So I see that point where like that's the superstar in my mind, but that doesn't take away from Nolan Gorman who smashes right-handed pitchers. And you're right, if this was a a righty hitter who couldn't, Kit lefties, and, and then we're talking about something a little different in this sense. But I, I wouldn't put him in the lineup against Milwaukee. But I do believe that the growth of Nolan Gorman to get to that superstar threshold requires him to at least be able to go out there against lefties. See, I I don't. I I, I think the days of you know you got to hit both sides against righties and lefties to be a superstar. I think those days are dead. I I, I think Nolan Gorman can become a superstar without having that many played appearances against lefties. Like I correct me if I'm wrong. I think Schwarber's a superstar talent See, in Philadelphia. I don't think he's superstar level. I, I would say he's a star, but I, I if, like superstar specific. Maybe we're I mean maybe this is one of those things where we're just not going to agree on what the superstar means, kind of like the Kyle Tucker conversation. Like I think Kyle Tucker is a, right, a he's superstar. A superstar. I was wrong. Uh, no, are I'm you not, happy? I'm, I'm just saying like, I think that different right, people have different definitions bar. of what no. that means. Like some people would say there's only five superstars in baseball. Uh, that's totally fine. If that's the way that you classify it, maybe we just call it a star for the ease of the conversation. I think Nolan Gorman can be a star without without really getting many opportunities whatsoever against left-handed pitchers. I, I it doesn't agree. bother I just me. think there's a specific few. It's like it's like in the elite category. Like I think when you're talking about elite players, there, there's a very specific category to be in in that conversation. Would you consider Joey Gallo to be like when he's on a star in Major League Baseball? I know it's a very specific talent that he brings to the table, but I'm asking this for a reason. I say when he's on, yes. Like this year, he is. See, I can't good. label somebody a star if it's when he's on. Like that's I, fair. You it's always totally expect it. It, it's tough. It's tough to have this conversation because there's just not many players like right. Nolan Gorman, honestly. Um, Jock Peterson, would you guys consider him to be like a star level talent? See, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. I don't think because that's kind of what Nolan I think Gorman is. He's one of those right fringe now. players. Um, Jock Peterson, when you have him in the lineup against a right-handed pitcher, is one of the best hitters in baseball. He's, he's been outstanding over the last two seasons in that specific role. 
when Joey Gallo is in the lineup against right-handed pitching, he's one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball right now. When he's in there against lefties, which is very rare, he doesn't really do a whole lot. And so that's why this conversation's a little tough is like there's not many guys that fit into this category, but when they're when they're able to do it, man, it can work at a really high level. So I it doesn't bother me because of the options that you yeah. have. If the Cardinals didn't have Tommy Edmond, who's like outstanding against lefties. Yeah, if your other option was Taylor Motter, oh, then sure, get him in the Motter. lineup. But right now, you've got Lars Newtbar in the outfield, who has been outstanding against righties and lefties so far this year. He's looking like a star talent. You're not going to put him at third base because of Nolan Arenado. You're not going to put him at first base because you've got Paul Goldschmidt, who rakes against lefties. You're not going to put him at second because of Tommy Edmond. You're not going to put him at DH, most likely. You're not going to put him in the outfield because... Because you can't, he can't play the outfield, apparently. Okay. Um, I think... <laughs> apparently. There was just... I will be curious to see what they do today at DH. Because Juan Yepes has not been hitting at all. Do they consider putting him at DH today against a left-handed starter? It's possible. I, I, I wouldn't. I, I, I look at Nolan Gorman, and, I, and again, I, I don't think he has to hit lefties. I also, I'm also the same guy that said in the offseason, I don't think he has to play the infield and can just be a DH because it's maximizing the asset. And and I look at it and I say, Nolan Gorman can be a guy that can just dominate a right-handed, right-handed pitching. And I think the difference that's going to separate him from Jack Peterson, for example, maybe not so much Schwarber because Schwarber drives in a runs is he's hitting in the middle of the order and he's going to drive in potentially 100 RBIs and he can hit 30 home runs he's just got that much power Peterson's not that guy like I'm looking at Peterson's numbers from last year and he played in 134 games he drove in 73 home runs like that that's pretty good production but it's not 30 home runs and 100 RBIs and I think that's what Corbin can do he can excel beyond what like a Jack Peterson does against right-handers and just be really elite at it and have that kind of production that takes him beyond and and I don't think he has to hit left-handed pitching. If they didn't have him face another left-hander the rest of the year, or they didn't start him against a left-handed pitcher this season, I would totally understand it because he's he was not good against lefties in the minors, and if he's not good at it in the minors, I don't think he's going to be great at it here at the major leagues. And to BK's point, you got better options. I like this text. I just don't care. Like, like, it doesn't bother me that he's bad against them. I like this text from the 618. To be a superstar, you have to be available in clutch moments. You can't be eliminated by pay- making a pitching change or, I'm, if you if you're gonna be eliminated by making a pitching change, you can't be your superstar. But here's the thing: like, I've got other options. If the Cardinals didn't have other options against left-handed pitchers, I think they would be utilizing him every day. But don't you want him to be the option? No, not necessarily. Because it like it was it's like last year, right? You basically platooned at times with Nolan Gorman early in the season and Albert Pujols combined. Those two made the best designated hitter in Major League Baseball. Because those those guys both had the power potential regardless of the handedness that you had as a pitcher in that game. Now, would I like at some point in Nolan, Nolan Gorman's career for him to be able to hit lefties just at a like solid level? Yeah, I, I would love for that to be the case. And I think there will come a time where the Cardinals don't have as much roster depth or maybe even this year where there's injuries that come into play, whatever it might be, where you say to yourself, it makes sense for us. To have Nolan Gorman hitting against a left-handed starter. Again, today might be that day because of the way that both um, Burleson and Yepes have been performing lately at the plate, which is to say, not well. No. So if you end up going with him over those two options, I would honestly understand that choice. However, when they are healthy, when they have a guy like Dylan Carlson maybe available again, when they have Juan Yepes hitting the way that he has been able to at times... 
it doesn't make sense for them to go to Nolan Gorman because you're putting yourself at a disadvantageous scenario. And I would also argue this. What we saw on Friday and Saturday in Wrigley, or excuse me, in Fenway, is why he becomes so valuable coming off of the bench. When you have that guy that you can insert into the game at a moment's notice because you have a pitcher that he can destroy, dude, that makes it really difficult for the opposition to make that pitching change because you know Nolan Gorman is looming late in a game. You guys are missing the lineup decision for tonight. It's Contreras as the DH and Kisner as the catcher because his bat is red hot. I actually could see them doing that. I know that they're not going to because be they great. just put Contreras behind the plate yesterday. When Ollie said he's our catcher moving I mean, I, forward. I, I actually would not mind them doing that. I, or Kisner as DH. I wouldn't mind going Kisner at DH because he's I been that good at bat and... Why else are we carrying Tres Brera? I mean, let's just be honest. If we got three catchers, why not utilize it? And Kisner's I would, been well. I would well. genuinely understand that decision. Yeah. Uh, honest to God, I would understand that and, decision. Because I think you're going to put Donovan in left field tonight because it doesn't sound like Dylan Carlson's going to be available. So if that is the case, you're probably putting Donovan in left. You're going with Newt Bar in center. What are you doing in right? Uh, Burleson, he can catch the ball. Uh, Pez, I think Yepes is probably in left. Maybe Donovan's in right. Yeah. Yepes in left. Probably. That's my so, guess. Yeah, I, I think Kisner is a, Why not a Kisner real option in the outfield? for you at DH. Why not Kisner in the outfield? Played first base yesterday. Well, catchers yeah. apparently play the outfield for the Cardinals. He also hit a grand slam yesterday. Moral of the story, if ever there was an opportunity to put Nolan Gorman at DH it's uh, against a lefty, it's probably today. Especially with Wade Miley on the mound. Oh, but <laughs> in the long run, you do have better options than him against the lefty. And that that doesn't really bother. I, I also will say this to the Texas point. They said, well, if you got a pitch hit for him on a pitching change, you can't be a superstar. It, it's situational. You know, if they're in the playoffs, for example, against Philadelphia from last year and Gorman was playing like is playing like this crushing right. He's been on a hot streak and they have like Paul Young, who's been struggling on the bench and they pinch hit for him. Against a lefty, I, I I would I would question the Cardinals. I, I would blast uh, Ali Barmel's decision to do that. I think they did that last year. I can't remember if it was Gorman that's at the plate, but they pinch it for or they didn't pinch it for DeYoung. But if Gorman's hot and there's a lefty coming in, I, I may stick with Gorman depending on how my other bench options are. And if if yeah. they go to someone that's been struggling, then then I'm going to be critical of the Cardinals for doing it. But while you've got these assets that are playing well against lefties. I have no issue with it because he's never shown that he's been able to hit left-handed pitching in his big league career. Yeah, and like middle innings, to, to your point. If yeah. they go to a lefty in the middle innings, fine, keep him in there. Yeah. And that's what they have done for the most part. Is be that's, more where those, coming. that's where those plate appearances are coming from for him against lefties is the middle innings. They bring in a reliever. Okay, cool. We'll go like Nolan Gorman, get an opportunity here. And then later on when they got to go to a righty, he's still going to be in the game because we want him to do damage in that specific spot. Uh, so I'll be curious to see what the lineup looks like. This is actually one of the days where it is – legitimately intriguing to see what the decisions are because I think you can make the case for a couple of different options and uh, this is one of those days where I'm not going to be super critical of any of them because there's at least reason to believe any of them could end up working for them. Coming up next, better to forget it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line here on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back.
back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it here on 101 ESPN. Let's start with this, guys. Bet it or forget it. At least one of the Padres or the Mets will miss the playoffs this year. Right now, the Mets are 20 and 22 on the season. The Padres are also 20 and 22 on the season. I'm going to forget it. Oh. Weirdish happens in the first two months of the season, you right? Both T-Bone? Of those teams will end up making yeah, it. I think they both make it. I said the first month and a half. Yeah, and well, it gets pushed to the flash, two months and then the three months. Newsflash, it's the 16th. So we're past the first month and a half. I'm actually going to bet this. I, and I think it's the Mets. I, I think they're in serious trouble. They they don't have good pitching. Offensively, they don't slug baby slug outside Pete Alonso and Lindor. Uh, and Thanks I, a lot, Jeff. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to make like significant moves with how much money they're throwing at that rotation. So... I, I think the Mets are in trouble. I, I still think San Diego's going to figure it out. I, I still like the top-end guys in that rotation. Looks like Waka figured it out last night against that crappy Royals team. Yeah, I was about to say, I wouldn't read too much into that. I'm not going to, but maybe he figured something out against uh, no. them. T-Bone believes um, Waka's back. Yeah, he is. But uh, I, they've got four of the best hitters in baseball in Soto, Machado, Tatis, and Bogart. So that line is going to start hitting. I didn't even mention like Cronenworth, Carpenter, and Cruz have been good at DH for them. I think they'll figure it out. I'm, I'm concerned about the Mets because it's the same concerns I have with the St. Louis Cardinals is their pitching is just a mess right now, and their aces aren't pitching like aces. Verlander's not been that great. Scherzer hasn't been that good, and his velo is way down. So I, I'm concerned about the Mets. I, I'll bet it. I'm going to forget this as well. I'm on I'm on the same path as Alex. I think you can, for the first like two months of the season or so, maybe even a little bit longer into like early June, maybe flag day. Um, flag day is usually it. You, you can hold on to your priors, which you thought was going to be the case coming into the season. And more often than not, that tells you more than what you saw in the first month or so. Like, for example, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they are better than we thought they were going to be this season, but I still think they're going to end up being like a 75-80 win team this year. And and I think that's what we're watching right now. The Mets, though, are the one that are more concerning to me than the Padres. I think the Padres, this is just like when you're built the way that they are and you need your offense to come through in such a significant way, you're going to go through slumps. We just saw this with the Cardinals as well. Eventually, they're going to go through a three-week stretch where they are just tearing the cover off the ball. Guys, the Mets have gone 50 innings without a home run. The last time that they hit a home run was last Wednesday by Pete Alonso. They have a power outage up in New York, and until that gets fixed, uh, they're going to continue on this losing skid. I think they both make it. It is going to be really tight, though. Much tighter than anybody expected it to be for either of those two teams. Alex, what do you have for better or forget it? Guys, bet it or forget it. The most significant upgrade that Doug Armstrong accomplishes this offseason takes place at the draft. At 
like the day of like the draft, the weekend of the or the week of the three days that they're at the draft is the most significant upgrade that Doug makes this offseason. I'm going to say forget it because I think he gets it done beforehand. I think it will include a draft pick. I don't think that it will happen the day of the draft, though. I think he gets it done prior to that. So I'll say I'll forget this. I, I'm going to bet it because he's done draft day deals before. Like, I think the Shen deal was on draft mm-hmm. day uh, when he acquired. Was it Sunquist for Reeves? That was no, on draft that was, day. That was the um, Shen was the Yori Latera trade. The Pittsburgh two separate ones. Yeah, though, there's right. two separate trades. The other one was Pittsburgh. But with I, Reeves. I, I'm going to bet it. I, I think he'll. I think it's either going to be what BK said. It's either going to be before, but I, I I lean towards it's happening on draft day because all those all those GMs are there. It's easier. I I, I think they'll get something done on draft night, and it'll include one of those first round picks. I'm going to bet this one also because I think when teams know where the Blues are selecting and see players drop, the conversations will start. But once that draft begins, and if a team sees a player drop to 25 that they aggressively want. That's when a team will be more likely to say, yep, let's pull the trigger on this and get the deal done. T-Bone, what do you got for bet it or forget it? Bet it or forget it. The Cardinals are back in first place by the end of the month. So we've got two weeks left. Uh, it's carry the one. I'll bet this two. one while he does his Whoa! while he does his statistics wow, and advanced analytics. Like people's Cheerios. I'm no, shocked just, you're betting I, this. I mean, look at the teams. You're going to look the Dodgers are probably going to be their toughest competition. And then you've got Cincinnati, you've got Cleveland and you've got Kansas City. I would expect that Cardinals team to go on their significant run the final week and a half of the season, which is going to push them back into at least tied for first. Because if you win the series against the Milwaukee Brewers, all right, well, you've climbed back into it. They've got a little bit more of a difficult schedule, barring some type of complete collapse against the Dodgers. Yeah, I'll bet this one. Okay, um, I didn't expect it to be the negative one here. I'm going to forget this. I don't think it'll happen by the end wow. of this month. And this guy's on board with the Cardinals, huh? I, I do think by the by the All-Star break, the Cardinals will be in first place in the division. Uh, six and a half within the next two weeks is just a lot of ground to be able to make up. I mean, you need everybody in the division to continue playing as poorly and honestly worse for a couple of them than they have been and you need the Cardinals to be continuing this tear that they've been on so I'm going to say forget it by the end of the month I do think though by I'll even say by the 1st of July I think the Cardinals will be back in first place but I do not think it happens by the 1st of June where do you think they'll be at the end of the month second because that's kind of where I am because I forget this too I, I think they can get third. close I think they'll be in third I think they'll be second I think they can leapfrog the Cubs the Cubs are going through Agreed. the Reds again the Reds Five have not and a half found games out their to make yet. up on the Pirates is going to be a little tough within the next two weeks it's fair, but they're they're playing so bad that I think they're going to continue to fall. So let I, it, I'm going to bet it. Let it be known on this show that I am the Cardinals backer. They will pass the Pirates in the standings on in that series in early June. That That is when I think the Cardinals will officially pass the Pirates, and I do not think they will ever fall behind them again the rest of this season, and maybe for the rest of eternity, honestly. <laughs> 314-399-9646 is the wow. error comfort service text yeah. line for bet it or forget it. Let's get to this one from the 314. Guys, bet it or forget it. Within the next six years, both the Cardinals and the Blues will win a championship again. I'm going to bet it because why not? I think yeah. the Cardinals are not that far away with their current roster, and I'm really intrigued by what the Blues are building. It's going to be. I think it's going to be harder for the Blues than it is for the Cardinals because they're further away despite what the standings look like right now. Um, but yeah, I'll go ahead and bet it. Why not? Yep. I'm the optimist one on the show, so I'll bet it too. I'm like him. I'm actually pretty excited to see what this Blues team is putting together. And in my opinion, when you've got a Jordan Bennington in a postseason, you can do a lot. So they might have the roster for it. Man, I am really going to be the villain. Uh, I'm going to forget it. I don't think either gets there. 
I, I think the Blues have too many question marks defensively. I don't know if they'll be able to move some of these contracts and they're stuck with them. And the defense, of course, is not very good. Um, and then I, I look at the Cardinals, and I don't know if they're going to be willing to do what it takes to go get an ace. And, and I think that's the biggest decider. If they go sign a uh, Aaron Nola this offseason or they're able to trade for, a, whether it be Eduardo Rodriguez, he's a rental, but or say a Shane Bieber, for example, then okay, I can look at it. I, I just don't know if they have what it takes to go out there and get the ace. Are they going to be willing to stomach whether it be the dollars it's going to take or the prospects it's going to take? And I think they overhype some of their own pitching prospects. So I, I'm going to forget it. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, better to forget it. Paul DeYoung is your starting shortstop on the Cardinals next year. Forget it. Let me ask a different way. Better to forget it. Paul DeYoung is on the Cardinals forget next it. year not happening i don't think he'll be back on this current they're, salary. they're not picking up the option I, I i'm gonna forget it i could see where they pick up the option and look to trade him like the, like uh, what milwaukee did with Wong. he's got to play like this all year otherwise i'll just cut bait but if that's the case why not trade him at the deadline because i need him right now yeah. <laughs> i think you could use something that you'd get in return in terms of a pitcher i don't i don't know that he gets you that he's because not, he's a guy that you're gonna if, if he performs like he is right now up until july somebody jumps on that because he's got the option tied to him. I agree that somebody will jump on him. I don't know that it is the team that will have the player that you're looking for. And I certainly do not think he is a like headliner in a deal. I think he is a guy that you add into a deal for a significant piece. I don't think Paul DeYoung gets you anything more than like a reliever I'd that agree. might end up helping I think the reliever you. I, you could get, though, could benefit you more than keeping him for a playoff run where you might not even see him that much. Depends. Depends where we're at with him. If he's still continuing to be your starting shortstop, which is what he is right now, he's reclaimed that job, then no, that guy's an everyday player for me. And right now, I need him the rest of the season, and we'll see what the offseason looks like. I, I would also add this. I think there's a non-zero chance that he's back on a different contract next year. Like they might decline that option and find a way to rework a deal for him to be back in St. Louis next season. I I don't know if I'd go there. I because I, I think if you decline the option, you're, you're saying goodbye. You're saying goodbye in your um, signaling. Hey, we got win coming up, and we've got we've already sure. got it. We've already got a kind of clustered middle infield, and he just kind of frees it up a little bit more. That's right. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, what do you got for us today on the junk drawer, man? Guys, uh, you, you know, we've got a YouTube channel, by the way. We do? 101 ESPN. Make sure you go hit that right subscribe now? button. We aren't. We, I think we'll be on soon. But Oh, man, you know, I'm going to wear my best costume. I, I, I know what we shouldn't do to help us build our subscriber base. And uh, that is uh, to intentionally crash a plane that we're flying and what? live stream it on YouTube. Oh, yeah. no. I, Wait, uh, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do I that. I thought you were going to say, don't put BK in a Disney lingerie outfit. Well, we can definitely do that. That's not how you raise the, the viewers. Yeah, I we're disagree. definitely not doing that. <laughs> Agree to disagree. <laughs> you want to raise the viewers to vomit. We are going to do a uh, T-bone dating show. You know what I want to do? Sorry. Finish your story and then I'll bring up what I want to do. Yeah. 
we'll just go to break before you what you want to do but uh a 29 year old youtuber pled guilty to federal charges after he destroyed the wreckage of a plane he purposely crashed to gain views oh my god how did he how did he crash a plane why was he flying the plane i don't know how did i he, i don't know why this he seems was like a lot him. more of an intense story than i thought yeah uh we're just we're not gonna do that but he made this video on youtube like he took over the plane to to showcase his YouTube channel and deliberately crashed it. I, well, I think he owns the plane, based on my understanding, and he took it out of like a small airport. Oh, oh. so it was like a private jet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Like Jacob, not a commercial flight. Jacob took off the plane in California in November of 21. He claimed he was playing to or uh, flying to a place called Mammoth Lakes. He outfitted the plane with cameras from several different angles about 35 minutes after his takeoff. He ejected himself from the plane above the National Forest. The video now has 2.9 million views. It is still available on YouTube. It shows Jacob swearing repeatedly, pretending his engine had gone out, and then that he needs to abandon the aircraft. He jumped out of the plane while wearing a parachute and captured the video of himself the entire you know, you time. You know, probably gave him away when he uh, wore the parachute when no, the plane started. No, when he attached seven cameras to his airplane. That's <laughs> what gave too. it away. Now, on one hand, I see exactly. He's raising his viewers. On the other, what does your 2.9 million viewers when you're in federal prison? Say, hard to make a YouTube yeah. video when you're in jail. Uh, you're not getting paid for that in prison. What's up, YouTube? It's T-Bone back behind my bar still. Got wow. another six years to go. What an idiot. What an idiot. So he videotapes the entire thing. Yeah. So he like got up once he was on the ground after parachuting down. He then hiked to the site of the plane crash and then recorded all of that as well. Yeah, dude. What an idiot. What a moron. How we're, long, not, we're not going to do that to build our friendship. For this is something that I am not to be like the old man yells at clouds guy, but I am a little worried about where all of this is heading. Like people will do anything, anything. for a few likes yep. or a few bucks, and the incentives on YouTube or on social media to get more follows more subscriptions more money is by doing stuff like this man there's you have to stand out in a really big way and it's hard to do that now with so many people now producing their own content it becomes incredibly hard to stand out and when you have a video that is titled i crashed my plane and survived yeah that's probably going to get some clicks i could see how i would be the one that would click on that thing man what there's a movie oh nerve that's what it's called there's a movie called nerve with emma roberts that like is essentially that it's an online game that's truth or dare to raise their viewers that turns into them like doing things risking their lives and it just gets more and more intense black mirror has become real life (laughs) in a a real way alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie coming up in the one o'clock hour we will give you a chance to win a four pack of tickets to this thursday's budweiser bash for cardinals versus dodgers a hell of a game four pack of tickets we're giving those away coming up in the one o'clock hour we are also talking about lars newt bar who guys is he among the best leadoff hitters at all of major league baseball right now let's calm down the numbers suggest it and you can make a case that he should be up at the top of the lineup even in a day like today against a lefty i'll tell you why coming up next here on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, Lars Newpar has been outstanding for the Cardinals so far. Yeah, this he year. has. 
if you look at his overall numbers, he looks like one of the best hitters in the sport. He's been 50% above league average, and he's doing so with a 444 on base percentage. Alex, he's hitting 310. At this point, he's starting to hit for a little bit more power. He was a little bit sluggish to start out that way, but now he's hitting for more power and he's already set a new career high in stolen bases. He's got five so far on the season. His previous career high came last year when he had four in 108 games for the Cardinals. He looks like one of the better leadoff hitters in the sport when you watch on a night to night basis, but it goes even beyond that. Guys, his numbers as a leadoff hitter are the fourth best in Major League Baseball. Ronald Acuna has been the best leadoff hitter this year with an OPS over 1,000. Yandy Diaz is second right behind him with an OPS also over 1,000. Lamont Way Jr., who basically it's it's kind of like what the old um, Giants were on even years. They were great. On odd years, they were terrible. Well, Lamont Wade is the opposite. On odd years, he's great. In even years, he's Man, terrible. And so suck. far this year, he has a 977 OPS. After that, it's Lars Nupar with a 942 OPS as a leadoff hitter. Then behind him, you've got some of the better names in the sport. Alex Verdugo, Marcus Simeon, uh, Brandon Nimmo, Mookie Betts, Fernando Tatis Jr., Christian Yelich. You've got some big-time names that are below Lars in terms of his leadoff hitting expertise. I think it's time to leave him there against any pitcher that they see. Have you guys looked at his numbers this year against lefties? Hell, have you looked at his numbers in his career against left-handed pitchers? Hell, have you looked at his numbers, Tanner? I have, I have, yes. His That's numbers, much of splits. His numbers in his career against left-handed pitchers, he's batting two ninety eight against them. Against lefties, as a left-handed hitter. This year, he's batting three seventy against them. Now, he doesn't have a crazy amount of pop this year against left-handed pitchers, but his OPS is above 900. I know Tommy Edmond is really good against lefties, I would rather see Lars Newbar just stay at the top of the lineup every single day moving forward. So today, when they post the lineup, I don't think they will do this because what they've been doing has been working. But I would go with Lars Newbar as my leadoff hitter, and I would just set that and forget it. Lars Newbar is my everyday outfielder today, probably in center field, but most days in right, and he's going to be batting leadoff for me. Tanner, your rebuttal, sir. Uh, I don't really have a rebuttal for that one. Uh, I, uh, I I I would stick with Edmund at leadoff just for now until he goes cold. But when he goes cold, I I would totally be open to hearing the conversation of if Newbar's uh, splits continue this way to have the conversation of putting Newbar at the top of the order. I I just think right now Edmund's been playing well against left-handed pitching that I, I like having him at the top. And honestly, I, I like having Newbar near the bottom of the order. Just lengthens it out a little bit more, especially when you bring in a righty. So I, I don't really have a problem with the way they're doing it right now against lefties. But I, I'm definitely open to the conversation of when Edmund goes cold. Can, yes, Brandon, you have a question? Uh, I would actually have Tommy Edmund towards the middle of my order against lefties. Well, okay. Batting well, them four and moving Arenado out. His slugging percentage is real. I know that's weird to say, but like against left-handed pitchers, I think you can make a case to bat Tommy Edmond either fifth or sixth in your lineup. I, I think I would have Lars Newbar batting first and then Goldie second, and then you probably go Wilson Contreras third would be my guess. Uh, Nolan Arnato fourth, and then I with right now Dylan Carlson being out, I think you can make a case to put uh, Tommy Edmond up there. What's that word he used fifth. with me yesterday? Vehemently disagrees. I, I vehemently disagree. I like, a little, I like a little pop at the top of the order. I mean, that's what makes Newbar a guy that's great at the top there against right hand pitching. He's got some power. He can get on base. And I, to be honest with you, I'm not buying his splits right now against lefties because he's mostly inflated by his on-base percentage. Yeah. Like, but he this does, is now over the course of 
uh, a few seasons. Yeah, I, I much rather have Tommy Edmond up at the top of the order. I, I like Newport down in the six seven spot, and, and plus, I, I think the middle of the order is better when it's got uh, those big bats you're talking about, and then you can follow it up with like Paul DeYoung that's batting uh, six right now. I'm trying to think who else. Typically, they put. Uh, Carlson back there when he's healthy, he's good against lefty. So I, I like Carlson there. By the I, way, I just Carlson like Edmund has not there. been good against lefty so far this year. I'm I'm I'm, t- I'm being totally serious. I'm not trying to uh, diminish yeah, your point. Get the water bottle. No, it, it, it's weird. Uh, Dylan Carlson is now uh, has an OPS of 518 against left-handed uh, pitchers. Uh, Paul DeYoung is at 377. By the way, against lefties as his OPS so far this year. Here's why I would side with bk on this tanner and don't get upset buddy your opinion still matters here unlike what bk believes i I would keep Lars newpar at the top no matter the pitcher because it makes the decision harder for a manager to go away from their starting pitcher late in games because if you know that he smashes righties and you don't have tommy edmund up there if you're back at the top of that order if you're going to start clean innings I don't want to have to put a righty in there and go up against Lars Newpar and then Goldschmidt, Nolan Gorman, and Nolan Arenado. Whereas if that's Tommy Edmond, I'm going to immediately go to a righty if it looks like trouble. It also might trap dumb managers. I say I say that in all seriousness to putting a lefty in the game against Lars Newtbar, where then they have to also face potentially Goldie and Arenado coming yeah. up as well. And that's a great situation for Goldie and Arenado. You're never bringing that lefty in the game to no. face Tommy. Evan if you would just get some reps for Nolan Gorman, he could also be a threat well, that, against well, a lefty. That's what there. I was just about to say. My, my, I guess my counter to what you're saying would be if you have Tommy Evan that's at second base against a lefty and leading off, if they go to a right-handed pitcher, I put Gorman right in that spot when it's needed. And now I've got Gorman at the top that's mashing and to the point of, you know, dumb managers uh, bringing in lefty to face Gorman. Sure, Gorman has splits, but then it also just it still sets up well to where you've got Goldschmidt that's going to follow him up in the two spot going up against a left-handed pitcher. But wouldn't you just want the best hitter to get the most opportunities? Because that's, that's what the leadoff spot is. That, that's what I'm doing with Lars Newbar by putting him at the top of the order regardless of who the opposing pitcher is. It's like you look at Tommy Edmond, guys, against left-handed pitching, this is in his career. So we're talking about 500 plate appearances, which is basically a full season's worth of work. He's got a 5'10 slugging percentage against them. That being said, his on-base percentage is not particularly high. It's at 332 against left-handed pitchers. He's not a guy that gets on base at a remarkably high level. Uh, he's just, he doesn't take a bunch of walks. Lars Newbar is a guy that gets on base at a really high clip, regardless of the handedness, but especially against left-handed pitchers. So I, I would put him batting first. How, whoever you want to put in that three spot, I think that's where it gets a little bit more difficult right now against left-handed pitchers. I think you could honestly make an argument for Tommy Edmond in that spot. I know that sounds weird. but or you just shift Wilson Contreras up if it's a lefty there and put him in between Arenado and Goldschmidt. Sure. You, you can do that as well. He he hasn't been getting on base at a high level, but Contreras is going to be fine against lefties. He's, he's always been good against them in his career, so I could see doing that as well. And then I think you put Edmond somewhere in that like 5-6 range because of the power that he has shown so far um, in his career, not just this season against lefties. But my, my main point on this Guys, Lars Newtbar has become one of the best leadoff hitters in the sport. And I think it's time to just leave him there. And it's time to crown him as the everyday potential all-star caliber outfielder for this year that many of us thought he could be. You know, you say a lot of really smart, intelligent things there, BK. So I would second that. Tanner, your rebuttal. I think he's the everyday right fielder for this team this year. We'll see going forward. Are you getting closer to jumping on board? I'm getting closer. By every game that 
uh, just every game they play, I get closer and closer. But I, I want to see it for a whole year. Like, he can play well in the first half, and I'll be really close to buying in. I, I, I just don't want to see a second half kind of uh, cold streak from Lars Newbar because then I'm really going to question it. Because kind of, to me, it's kind of like uh, different players, different style. But like Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung had a really good first half, was an all-star, and then like the second half was atrocious, and he was down from there. I'm not saying he's going to end up being like Paul DeYoung, but I, I need to see it for a full year, not just the second half and not just the first half. I've got to see it for a full year before I'm willing to buy in completely. That's fair. I'm ready to buy in. Just label him the everyday leadoff hitter. I'm ready to buy into this offense. I'm ready to buy into this team. But this offense is <laughs> no, <you're not. laughs> starting to mash in the way that we all expected oh, them great. to. Now here comes a cold spell. Tonight, tonight <laughs> should be a continuation of that. But then you're getting the real test. Corbin Burns tomorrow, Julio Urias on Thursday, you're getting Kershaw on Sunday, three of the next five games after tonight, three of the next, yeah, six games after tonight, excuse me. That is when things get really interesting for the Cardinals. That's a roller coaster, and you're about to hit the downturn. I don't know, man. I think they might have it in them. The Corbin Burns game, I'm not betting on anything, though. Oh, yeah, because the last time they went up against uh, Clayton Kershaw, man, they had him figured out. The, the, Bo- the Burns game, I am I am sitting that one out. I'm you not know, saying anything about it before who, or after. And you know who they can go really well up against? A lefty that deals like Urias. Didn't they get shut out by Kershaw earlier yeah, this year? They yeah, they did. Yeah, it didn't go well. Yeah. Uh, coming up next. They also got shut out by Alex Cobb. So, like, <laughs> what are we doing here? We're playing really a game good. based on a comment that Nolan Arenado had last night. We'll explain it coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We need him. Man. We, we need him to be a dude and uh, not to put pressure on him, but we just need him to be himself. You know, we don't need him to do anything more than just be himself. And uh, today was awesome. 314 399 9646 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. I love Nolan Arenado. I love when Nolan Arenado is hitting the way that he is right now. It's fun to watch him. But I also love that we in baseball have specific terms that we use, Alex. He said at the beginning of that, he's a dude. So when you've got a guy that you think is like a, a legitimate stud, Tanner, he's dude. a dude. If you've got just a, you know, he's a run of the mill type of player. That's a guy. He's BK. just a guy, right? If you've got a great pitcher, man, look at that stuff. Alex. It's just the, the terms that we use in major league baseball are unlike any other sport in the world. So I wanted to play a game with you guys. If you don't mind, we'll take a few minutes with this. Let's play a game of guy or dude. <gasps> For the St. Louis Cardinals right now. Okay. Going off of what Nolan Arenado had to say last night. Well, let's start with an obvious one, I think. Nolan Gorman, guy or dude? He's a dude. dude. Yeah, I think he's a dude. Yeah, and he's, he's a, a superstar. Like, I could hear the argument of somebody saying he's a guy now because it's only his second year, but has the potential to be nah, a that dude. That person's a boy. No, this guy's a dude. <laughs> Lars Newbar, guy a or dude? Guy. Because I'm with you on Nolan Gorman. I think he's obvious. I think it's very clear that at this um, point he's become a dude. Alex, we were just on the same page. No, <laughs> We were just I talking know. about how great he's been. But it is only like one year, essentially. He's 310. He's got an OPS Nine. of just about 900. Yeah, I'm going to call him a dude. He's a dude. Look so at him. 24 times the, this year. He's got the entire country of Japan behind him. He's a dude. That's right. 
He's I think a guy. he's a dude as well. You've got him as a guy. Yeah, he's a guy. You're, I, you're, I don't think he you're can be, useless. He can't be a dude until he does it for a full year. So I'm saying he's a guy. Where are you guys at on Brendan Donovan somebody, right now? Somebody texted and said, "Is dog a good thing or a bad thing?" <laughs> what dog, dude? Oh, he's got that dog in him. He's got that dog in him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. So maybe, okay, so dog would be like dude. I think Brendan Donovan, speaking of dog, Brendan Donovan has that dog in him. Yeah, he's got that (laughs) dog in him. He's a dude. He he could go anywhere on the field. I mean, you got a guy who's like, yep, sure, throw me at second. Yep, sure, I'll play left field. If they ask him to be a catcher, because let's be honest, the drama will continue. Someone else is going to catch at some point this season. I think Brendan Donovan would be on board with it. Yeah, I'm going to go dude as well. Donovan's good at like everything gets on base it's for average can play the outfield can play you guys second. are doing this to me i'm going to do you're gonna call him a guy <laughs> he's a guy oh, like, if you told me long term who is the odd man out for the cardinals middle infield situation between gorman win donovan th- those three specifically I think that the guy that would be most likely to be out of that mix is Donovan yeah. because I think Gorman's a dude and I think Wynn has the potential to be a dude and I think Donovan's kind of a guy. You know what? You swayed my decision. I think he's a guy. I don't think he's a dude. I like him. I think, I think he's an needs enjoyable to be a enjoyable guy. He's he got that dog in him. I think there needs to be an important threshold to be a dude and he's not a dude yet. He could be a dude in the outfield. He's the only, a dude in the outfield right now. The only now. reason he looks like a dude is because he loses his helmet every time he turns first base. Oh, the flow? Yeah. yeah. Still looks good. And in that case, Taylor Motter would be a dude. Can we talk about Dylan Carlson? Yeah, that's a guy. 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 Unless there's a lower one. What do we do with Dylan Carlson? Because right now, if you look at his numbers, whether it's against righties or lefties, here's a good thing, guys. He doesn't have significant splits this year the way that he has in times in the past. than some guys on the team. In fact, he's been better against right-handed pitchers. Here's the problem. (laughs) He's he's batting .235 with an on-base percentage of .275 and an OPS below .700 against righties. And that's the better side for him right now. I, I agree with you that he is just a guy. And that's a problem for the Cardinals because it's starting to feel like last year wasn't the outlier. It's starting to feel like what he did in 2021 might have been more of the outlier season where he was an above league average hitter. I I, I don't know what you do with this, man. I know that he's hurt right now, so that kind of takes care of things. He's good in center field. He does a decent job defensively for you, but I think he has to be better at the plate to become an everyday player for you. And right now... I think he might have more value elsewhere. And I'm not saying to trade him right away, but he might have more value elsewhere than he does to the Cardinals if he ends up being a fourth outfielder for them. Well, and good friend Lisa just texted in as we're talking about this and says, why do you guys hate Dylan Carlson? We don't hate Dylan Carlson. I want so badly for Dylan Carlson to be good because he is genuinely a, he's a good dude in the locker room. But, the, but it, it just hasn't worked offensively for him over the last well, two seasons. And the people that are arguing he's young and hasn't had an extended stretch, he just did have this extended stretch. It was two weeks of every single day he was playing, and the numbers weren't backing it up. But to answer your question, I would continue to play Dylan Carlson when he returns because, frankly, I'd rather have him struggling than Awan Pez in the outfield who's also struggling because sure. the defense is better. Unlike Tyler O'Neill, like Tyler O'Neill, when he returns, your place is on the bench because we've seen it and you'll get in when guys need the days off. But because of the age of Dylan Carlson and because you've done this with other guys, I would continue to give it a stretch with Dylan Carlson until somebody else takes that spot over, which in my mind, I'm thinking Jordan Walker, because right now my outfield would be Carlson, Newt Barr and Brendan Donovan. And to the point of Lisa's text. Yes, he's young, but he's not young in terms of baseball. I mean, he's got over 1,300 plate appearances already now. And it, it, yes, that's not a ton, but 
it's enough to where I should be seeing progress, and I'm not. I'm seeing more regression from Dylan Carlson, and that's the biggest thing for me. If it was like, hey, you know what, 2022 was an outlier. It was the race I was bothering him. We saw him hitting righties fairly well, and he was crushing lefties. It's a totally different conversation. But this is the first known injury this year is the ankle, and we saw it happen. I, I don't think he's hurt. I, I just don't think he's... I don't think he's got the plate uh, ability up at the plate there to be a dude for the St. Louis Cardinals. So somebody on the text line also from the 314 said, guys, look at what his everyday opportunities have been, or look at what he's done, excuse me, since getting everyday opportunities um, as the center fielder. So that happened. They, they made that transition on April 28th. He has started every single day since then when he's been healthy. April 28th is that kind of the cutoff point. So that's nearly three weeks. It's 15 games. Never mind, two weeks. And he's batting 212 with an OPS of 615. If in that exact same stretch, we saw something like that from Paul DeYoung or Tyler O'Neill or Juan Yepes or Alec Burleson, everybody in our text line would be shouting from the mountaintops, you have to go to somebody else in that spot, every single person, and it would be deserved because that's just not good enough production at the plate. He's getting on base 25% of the time. He's barely walking at all in this stretch. And it's not like he has a crazy high strikeout rate. He's just he's putting the ball in play, and it's not resulting in much uh, positive. I, I like Dylan Carlson. Defensively, he is your best center fielder right now. And I think because of what's around him in the lineup, you can make the case that that's enough. Defensively, being a guy that goes out there every single day and settles things down in the outfields because they've been one of the worst defensive outfields in Major League Baseball this year can make that case. But when Tyler O'Neill returns, this is where I do think it gets very interesting for the Cardinals. Let's say early next week, Carlson's back from the ankle injury that he's dealing with right now, and Tyler O'Neill is back from his rehab assignment that is expected to begin on Thursday for him down in AAA. I could totally understand the argument for going to. Tyler O'Neill in left, Brendan Donovan in right, Lars Newbar in center, and just playing with that on an everyday basis for the foreseeable future. I could absolutely understand why they would go down a route like that. Could we go with one more? Please. Guy or dude, Jack Flaherty? Guy. Dude. Totally a dude. Do you believe that? Yeah. No, you don't. Do you actually do. believe I that? I do believe that. If I asked you one more time, would you change your answer? No, I'd go. We're going to give you one last shot because the rest of the season, no, we're marking no. this. I... I should never have jumped ship when I gave up on him after, you know, giving up 12 runs to the Angels. But I, I think he's still the dude. I, I think you saw yeah, last night. that was the one game you shouldn't have jumped off of the boat. Not even the yeah. Toronto uh, Blue Jays' first game. That, I thought that hole was a lot bigger, but we could have fixed it with Flex Seal. So we're good. Uh, I, uh, I I think he's a dude. I, I think he can lock himself in and continue to and be an ace for the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I think, and I'm hoping that last night, was that jumping off point. I mean, he had great command of his fastball. And when he has command of the fastball, it just sets everything up. And, and I don't on, think he's having, lost command of the fastball I'm having deja like, vu. forever. I, I think whatever it was, something was wrong with his mechanics. He's got it fixed. And I think he's just going to continue to go go from here. I'm having deja vu. He's a dude. He's a guy. I think he's a guy with the potential to be a dude. <laughs> I, I hope that he gets back to... He was, in 2019, a dude. I think you could even argue to start out 2021, he was a dude. So far this year, he's just been a guy. And I hope that he becomes more than that. The Cardinals need him to be a dude with some great stuff that has that dog inside of him. But right now, he is nothing more than a guy. Coming up next, the Maple Leafs have a whole lot of dudes in their yeah, lineup. They Unfortunately, they're probably going to have to trade one for a guy. Can the Blues <laughs> be the one what to take advantage of that? We'll talk about it next. You're on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So one of the teams that is going to be the headliner of the offseason, probably the headliner of the offseason, Alex, is the Toronto Maple Leafs. We brought them up before, but now there is national media that's starting to give this attention. There was a piece just a little bit ago that po- posted on The Athletic uh, from Pierre Lebrun, who basically wrote, hey, the Toronto Maple Leafs have some serious decisions that need to be made in the very near future. And he says that their general manager, Kyle Dubas, is prepared to make a significant move this offseason, pointing to the Florida Panthers as, hey, look at what they did last offseason, where they were willing to trade Mackenzie Wieger and Jonathan Huberdeau, two of their best players previously, for a guy that has completely altered the foundation of their franchise. And now they're playing in the Eastern Conference Finals as a result. Well, there's four guys that you can look at for the Maple Leafs that would fit into that category. It's John Tavares, who has a no-move clause and said the other day that he's not planning to be anywhere else. He wants to finish his contract in Toronto, so you can scratch him off the list. It's William Nylander, but he only has one year remaining on his contract. It's Mitch Marner, who's another player that could be of interest. And then Austin Matthews, who, honestly, I can't think of a more shocking trade in recent NHL history than if Austin Matthews were to be dealt this offseason by the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think it comes down to Nylander and Marner as the two guys that are most likely to be moved. And I think they almost have to move at least one of them this offseason. Alex, we discussed this briefly earlier in the show, but if you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes, are you A, considering the possibility of adding one of those two, and B, if you are considering it, what are you willing to give up? How Could such a deal make sense for the Blues and the Maple Leafs as trade partners? Well, let's start with the first part of it. If I'm Doug Armstrong, I have to consider this because they make your team better. I mean, Mitch Marner and William Nylander are difference makers, and you can spew the jokes all you want of, yeah, but they can't perform in the postseason, and yeah, they've never been able to get it done. Fine. But if you look at their production in terms of regular season, and frankly what they've done in the postseason at least the last two years, both of them are significant elite players. So you have to consider it. But you also have to consider the fact that in two years, Mitch Marner is going to be a free agent and he's 28 years old. He's making $10.9 million right now. Does he want more? Does he drop down a little bit? Because let's be honest, 10.9 is a little excessive or consider that William Nylander is going to be making eight, $9 million after next season when he's a pending UF unrestricted free agent. Both guys are in the age frame of what Doug Armstrong's looking for. The part that you'd have to consider, and this is where I separate both of them. Let's start with Nylander. If I'm Doug Armstrong, I look at this and say, William Nylander or Jordan Cairo? Because that's what you'd be giving up to acquire this individual, because you're going to have to unload at least 7 or $8 million, and these are the guys that match the cards here. William Nylander is two years older than Jordan Cairo. William Nylander has produced more than Jordan Cairo, but Cairo has been in the year of the league less than him. And we did this yesterday in the office, essentially in the same time frame where they both started the NHL, they're the same players. They're different in terms of the way that they go about it. I know we're going to get texts on that, but yeah. producing wise in terms of what they actually produced goals, assists, points, everything like that. 
they are remarkably similar between Jordan Kyrou and William Nylander. So as much as I at at this respective point in Nylander's career. So as much as I would love William Nylander on this team for next season. Do I believe Jordan Cairo is going to continue to grow? Because if I do, I'm not going to acquire William Nylander because I might have William Nylander and Jordan Cairo. Sure. Marner's a different qu- question in my conversation. Marner was in the Selkie conversation this year. Marner just came off a 99 point season. Marner is a difference maker on the ice. If I have the opportunity to acquire a Mitch Marner, who's 26 years old, who's locked up for two more years and then is an unrestricted free agent, I'm going to pounce on that depending on what the package is. And in Pierre LeBron's piece, he says that Toronto's probably going to be looking for a number one defenseman. You could cross yourself off of the list then because you don't have that to trade for them. And I know somebody's going to say, well, trade him Colton Pareko. One, you're trying to trade Colton Pareko because you don't believe he's a number one defenseman. So why is Toronto going to believe that? And two, your team is worse if you get rid of Colton Pareko for Mitch Marner. So I'd love Mitch Marner, but I think the only way I can acquire Mitch Marner is if I give up a Jordan Cairo and a, draft pick for that and I just don't know if Toronto is willing to accomplish that yeah I think it can make some sense for the Blues I think it's harder to make it make sense for the Maple Leafs if they are truly looking for that number one defenseman which by the way everybody is looking for welcome to the club I don't think that the Blues can accommodate that I really don't as much as we can talk about Colton Pareko if you get rid of him you do need to replace him So now you're getting yourself into a situation where you have added yet another high-priced forward to this mix for multiple seasons. And this one is not just any forward. He's making $11 million over the next couple of years. And then you likely end up re-signing him to another deal that is exceeding $10-plus million per year. He's going to be the highest-paid player of your franchise. He's going to be the face of your franchise for the foreseeable future. But you now have zero defense. You basically just locked yourself into being... The Maple Leafs. Yeah. Like that, that is, you have traded them the defense and they have traded you the forward for you to be where the Maple Leafs currently are. Now, that's not such a bad thing. Being the Maple Leafs can be a hell of a lot of fun. You can score a lot of goals, you can get to the playoffs every year. Unfortunately, as we have seen with Toronto, does not mean that you're going to have postseason success because in order to succeed in the playoffs, you have to be solid defensively. You don't have to be great. You can get away with just being okay. But you have to at least be solid defensively. And if you get rid of Colton Pareko, it's really hard for me to imagine any scenario unless there's a bunch of movement from this roster or the Blues are simply solid defensively. Well, and the other part of this, too, is if you're Doug Armstrong, evaluate your team. Do you believe that you can win a Stanley Cup next year with Mitch Marner on your roster? Taking out the trade you would have to give up for it. Because if you do, well, then you do that right away because this expedites the retool for you but then also evaluate your team and say, if I don't do this and go the route of a Ross Colton, where he's going to be here for three to four years under a reasonable contract, we're relying on the growth of a Jordan Cairo, and maybe we look for a defenseman elsewhere. Which one is more likely to get you back to a cup contender and a sustained cup contender? Because that's the route that I'm going to go if I'm Doug Armstrong. And unfortunately, as much as I love Mitch Marner, $11 $11 million, which you're probably going to have to give him a no movement clause. That's not going to happen. And you're also going to have to lock him up for six, seven years, which is going to take him into being 35 at $11 million. That's not going to happen. I might be better off finding somebody who plays into the system of the blues rather than go and get that superstar on the top of the blues. The idea of trading for one of these players is super interesting. The, the idea of one of them playing here in St. Louis with Robert Thomas Man, that's tantalizing. 
the, the, those guys being paired with him on that top line and then pay, maybe even having Pavel Buchnevich as as the left winger with a Mitch Marner and a Robert Thomas like dude I I totally understand how if you're a Blues fan you can talk yourself into that quickly and I do think you get a little better defensively with Mitch Marner on the team as opposed to Jordan Cairo he's a better defensive forward than what Jordan Cairo is and for 20 minutes a night that means you get better defensively but 11 million dollars is a significant cost giving up on Jordan Cairo is also a real cost, even though it was frustrating to watch at times last year. And I don't think it will just be Jordan Cairo. I think you're also giving up first round pick, maybe a significant prospect like Mitch Marner is one of the better forwards in the NHL. So you're going to have to give up a lot for him. I just don't think there's a match. I, I don't, I wish there was, it would make our job a lot more interesting over the course of the next month or so. I just can't see how the Blues and Maple Leafs end up being a match for a trade. Sometimes it makes sense for one team, but not the other. I think that was the case last year for the Calgary Flames with the St. Louis Blues. It made a lot of sense for the Blues to get Matthew Kachuk. I think the problem was the Blues were not able to make sense for the Calgary Flames to send him here to St. Louis. I think the same thing will likely be true this offseason for any of these Toronto forwards that become available. I think when you're viewing the big picture with this team and why we are so optimistic for what Doug Armstrong is trying to accomplish... You've got the pillars in place that you're trying to build around and Cairo and Thomas and Buchnevich and Shen and Bennington and Pareko and Falk. What you're looking for is though are those other complementary pieces to create this this full roster. And the hope is that Snuggerud's doing that in a couple of years. The hope is that Bullduke and Zach Dean are doing it this year. And the hope is that Scott Perunovich is a part of this. But you're not going to jumpstart that if it puts you in a salary cap bind in two years, because then you're going to have to probably leave of the Kairou conversation. You're trading away or not re-signing Pavel Buchnevich, and then you're stuck with a guy at the top of the lineup that's supposed to do it all, and the complimentary pieces you're paying a low salary to, which, i.e., the Toronto Maple Leafs. If Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares aren't getting it done... You're not getting past the first round of the playoffs. Uh, final thing here. This comes from Jordan on the text line. Guys, what if the Blues traded Kairou, any of the defensemen other than Pareko, and a first-round pick for Marner? That would be of interest to me. I'm sure it would be. And <laughs> it would an be interest. of interest to the Blues, I would imagine. I don't think it's going to be of interest to the Maple Leafs. Yeah. First of all, they would then be taking on more money than what they're removing from their cap equation. And the entire reason they're doing this is because of the cap complications that they're currently running into. So with Kairou and one of the other defensemen, probably Krug, let's be honest, because the power play expertise there, you're adding $14 million to your books for mm-hmm. not just next year, but like the next five years. I, I don't think that's going to be of interest to Toronto. So As much as this is going to be fun, it's going to be exciting for the NHL to watch this. And hey, man, it's going to be exciting for the Western Conference because I would imagine there will be a number of teams in the West that will be calling Toronto, that will be calling Tampa, that will be calling uh, some of these other teams, New Jersey, for example, for some of their better players because of the cap crunch that's coming to the league this summer. It's going to be an offseason of a lot of movement. You thought last year was a one-off? Uh-uh. This year is going to be every bit as interesting as last year was. I'm just not sure the Blues are going to be playing in those waters. It's not sexy, but guys like Ross Colton, Max Domi, who doesn't interest me as much as he does Jamie, but I understand the appeal there. Anybody from the New York Rangers right now? I think that's the tier. That's the level of player that the Blues are looking for. If you're looking at a guy and you see that he makes more than $6 million, 
I think the chances are the Blues are probably not going to be interested in that guy this offseason. Well, they might want to add him, but I think it's going to be very difficult. Well, and also remember, so. no team wins the Stanley Cup if they got a guy who's making over $10 million. Don't make me discuss that again. Coming up next, we're giving you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets for Hasn't this Thursday happened. night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Dodgers. We could use uh, facts and logic, but we don't have to get into that. That gets in the way of a good story. We'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Easy for me to say. Restart That's this whole thing. You don't know. That's Alex Ferrario. Thank He's Tanner Hendrickson, Ferrario. and I am the great Brandon Kylie. I'm a dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just guys. Nah, a dude, a dude wouldn't mess that no, up. A dude wouldn't mess that you're, up. A dude nails a all the pronunciations. If you missed anything from today's show, including why that reference made sense, uh, you can check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up here in about five minutes or so before we get off the air, we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to this Thursday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Dodgers. Uh, Guys, I want to discuss a little bit about the lineup decisions that the Cardinals have to make going into tonight's game against Wade Miley because we, we mentioned how you are a little short on talent in the outfield right now with Dylan Carlson. We, we don't know exactly what the update is, but based on what some of the tea leaves were that were hit and given out last night, I don't think he's going to be available today. I'd be pretty surprised. He said he was available in a quote emergency emergency situation last night. He could not run. He could not pit, uh, hit. So it, he basically couldn't play. I don't think that just magically clears up over the course of 24 hours. So let's say Dylan Carlson is down today. I think that put Lars puts Lars Newbar in center. You're going up against a lefty. Like I mentioned, I think that means Brendan Donovan is once again in right. What do you guys want to do in left? <laughs> Juan Yapez, he can catch the ball. I, I think that's a real option. Would you consider Tommy Edmond in the outfield? Put him in left? Put him in left, Donovan at second, and then Kisner as your DH. No, because I need Donovan in right. I was going to say, who's playing right if Donovan's in left? Oh, no, I'm sorry, not Donovan, Gorman. Gorman's at second. And then Kisner's your DH. I think you could do that. Feels kind of like a band. Of that feels toys. a bad lineup, but right now, I mean, those are your hottest bats against lefties. Yeah, I, I don't think I would do that. I I could see the rationale behind it. Um, this goes back to the the outfield crunch that we've talked so much about. Alec Burles and Juan Yepes, neither of them are hitting right now. Uh, Juan Yepes has, if you're looking at like hard hit rate stuff, any of the under the radar or under the hood types of numbers, it's been bad been really bad for Juan Yepes and this is coming from a guy that was calling for him to be back up in the big leagues for like a week before they decided to make that move I like Yepes I think he's a good hitter it has not gone well for him I think I'd probably go Burleson and left I know it's not the greatest matchup I would bat him ninth in this game you go Burleson over Yepes yeah just because defensively I think Burleson is average and I think Juan Yepes is a serious liability out there defensively I, I think you get much better defensively with Burleson. It's like going from a zero to like a 40 overall in 
like MLB the show defensively. You're not good with Burleson out there, but I know he can make play a capable left field. I think that's what I would do. I honestly think that they need to make a roster move, though. Like if you think Dylan Carlson's going to be out for the next four or five days, I think now is the time where you go ahead and make the move where you bring up somebody that can play the outfield for you capably. And you look down there right now, you've you've got some options. Um, but I, I don't know that that's something that they're willing to do right now. Yeah, I don't know if they'll be willing to do it right now. And the only other outfielder on the 40-man not named Walker, and correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, Moises Gomez. And he doesn't give me the butterfly feeling of he, he's a great defensive outfielder. So, But as we've talked about a million different times, Jose Fermin has still not played yet in the minor leagues. You could go ahead and DFA him and it basically Agreed. costs you like a million dollars and bring up and bring up uh mercado add yeah. him to the 40 that's minute. what i would do so, is bring up oscar mercado if they think that it's serious with I, carlson if they so, think it's like a two-day thing whatever where's you don't Jose? have to do that somebody said tommy edmund reeks mike schilt <laughs> i could see schilt doing that that actually is a mike sure. Matheny move also uh, no what schilt would do is they would bring up mason Wynn and he would play him in center <laughs> Wow, Brandon. <laughs> it's not my shot. Come on, I Brandon. That, he might. <laughs> no, he I would have thrown Helsley last night. Oh, wait, no, he wouldn't have. No. DK would have been upset. In an 18 to, what was it, 18 to 1 game? <laughs> yeah, we got to make sure we're picking up these wins. What would you do, T-Bone? Because it it's tough. I, I would probably start. I, I would go with Yepes and left. I, I would go Yepes and left. Were you talking lineup or were you talking just roster move? Okay, I was going to say, I, I would go Yepes in left. I, I would go with Nupar in center. Donovan's probably in right. Edmonds at second. DeYoung's at short. And I, I would DH Kisner tonight. I, I think he's he's been uh, swinging a good bat, and it, he's playing well. So right now you put him in that DH spot, and if he could play left field, hell, I'd put him out in left field right now. But I, he'll be the – he's the DH was what I would do tonight. Somebody said BK would hit Burleson over Gorman. Well, if Gorman could play in the outfield, I would have Gorman starting in left field tonight. I would like that. That would be my personal choice is I, I would put him in left field tonight as my starting left fielder. The Cardinals have made it abundantly clear. They do not plan to do that. So, I, I mean, he's got a cannon of an arm. He's more athletic, I think, than even Alec Burleson is. I think he could play left field for you. But if the Cardinals aren't comfortable with that, I totally understand it. So that's how you end up getting one of Juan Yepes or Alec Burleson in the lineup. It's not really a Gorman versus Burleson or Yepes decision. Yeah. It is a Gorman versus whoever you want to put a DH decision. So do you want to put Kisner there? Do you want to put Yepes there? Do you want to put Gor- Gorman there? Any of the three you can make a case for? I would probably go Kisner. I would too. I would put a lot of money on Kisner starting there because of his and hot And then bat. I would go with Gorman as a pinch hitter later in the game. That That would be the route that I would go about it, but... I don't think there is a great option right now with Dylan Carlson being hurt. Hell, it's not even a great option when Dylan Carlson isn't hurt, but at least then you've got the defensive prowess of him in center field that kind of helps keep you afloat. Somebody said BK hates Gorman. Come on. Well, he does. He tried to trade him in the offseason. Off he did try to trade him in the offseason. Would you guys do Tommy Edmond in the outfield? If he, said, if he said, I'm comfortable doing it. Would, would you guys put it. Gorman at second and Tommy Edmond in the outfield tonight? I would not. I, I would rather have Edmond at second base better defensively there, in my opinion. And also, I I personally don't need to see Gorman against lefties. I, I, I've seen I've seen the numbers in the minor leagues. I, he's not If he didn't hit it there, he's not going to hit it here. So I, I would prefer you go with like Juan Yepes, even though he's struggling. Yeah, because the, the minors and majors are the same thing. Yeah, it's harder. <laughs> That's yeah. why it would be even worse. Tell You're that right. to Jordan Walker. 
Exactly. He's struggling right now in the minors. He's doing better at the major league level. All right, now is your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to this Thursday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus the Dodgers. This week's Budweiser Bash game features a limited edition Mike Matheny bobblehead. Text 314-399-9646 right now if you are texter number 101. And you can tell us what it was that the YouTuber streamed in order to get millions of views on his stream. What did he stream? If you can tell us what that was in your texture number 101, you're going to Cardinals versus Dodgers on Thursday night with a four-pack of tickets to the Budweiser Bash game. If you want more information on that, go to cardinals.com slash promotions. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex is out tomorrow. He will be back on Thursday. T-Bone is back in with me tomorrow. We'll talk to you guys then. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Uh, I think it's Lil Wayne said, I'm a sucker for pain. This. Song sucker for pain. There's like six rappers in it, but somebody said it. But uh, I... There is no, no chance you've heard that song. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.